Are you sitting comfortably? Then we'll begin. Welcome to another episode of The Still Time, the AFTN Soccer Show, broadcasting on CITR Radio 101.9 FM from the unceded Musqueam Territory at the University of beautiful and still sunny British Columbia. I'm your host, Michael McCall, and this week I'm not joined by Steve. I'm not joined by Zach, who has now flown over to the World Cup. He's having a good time. He's still alive. He made it there in one piece. Watch for his stuff on social media. He's going to be sending some videos and stuff out soon. And we'll hopefully maybe have a kind of diary in a future episode as well. So they're not on the show this week. Because we're going to talk a lot of white caps. And if we're talking white caps, who is the person that has covered the team the most closely this year? The woman in the know. It's Harjit Jahal. Hey, it's me, Harjit Jahal. What's poppin', everybody? Thanks for having me on, Michael. Yes, we wanted to get her back on the show. The Whitecaps' favourite person on the show, we found out. They, they love when you're on. Axel does love her. He does. And we, we both had a, a chat with Axel today. We're recording this on Friday night. So we both had a chat with Axel today. I have so much stuff on this episode that I am bumping Axel to the next show. But you're going to be writing some stuff in the, in the next couple of days as well, so folk can certainly keep an eye out for that. But some, some good chats that we had with them. Yeah, they're really good chats. So, based on what we we spoke with, with Axel, we, we're going to allude to some of the stuff he said without me playing my sit-down chat with him that will be in the show on Wednesday or, or Thursday next week. So I'll, I'll do a little bit of spoilers because it's just going to tie in with some of the stuff that we, we had planned to, to say. But this show, the first two parts, we're going to talk about white caps. In part three, we are speaking to our good friend Eve Powell out in Montreal from the Ballers Round podcast. She's going to be looking at CF Montreal's season, their recent newest rebrand. I've lost count how many they've gone through now. Their players that's been called up to the World Cup and some of their players that have been available to to clubs after their releases, one of whom the Whitecaps have added, and we'll cover that. In. And in the final part, we'll be bringing you the second part of Steve, Zach and myself's group previews for the World Cup. We'll be looking at groups E to H, including Canada's Group F, and at the end of that, we'll get Har's World Cup predictions as well. But we're going to start with the Whitecaps news of the week. And it's been a it's been a busy weekend. Whitecaps land har something for us to talk about, which is great. Yeah, 
have has been it's been a very busy week for the Whitecaps. Uh, they've had some signings for WFC two, but uh, more importantly, the biggest news they had a lot of options. They had to decide whether to pick them up for 2023 or decline them. And they basically declined them all, except for Dirk Cornelius. That includes Lucas Cavallini, Jake Nowinski, Cody Cropper, Marcus Cadinho, Leo Owusu. So they uh, cleaned house and they sent a lot of players packing. So uh, a bit of a surprise, but certainly gives us a lot to talk about, especially uh, El Tank, the... Uh, the striker for Canada now unattached FC. Mm-hmm. So Cavalini is probably the biggest surprise. I don't know that a lot of people thought that he would be uh, declined with his option, but also we didn't know that he was making 2.8 million. If they yeah. had that up. When JJ tweeted that, I like li- literally my jaw was like, what? I, actually, that should have been one of the things that I m- talked to Axel about. I, I did mention the, the high option, but I should have said, who on earth thought that was a good idea to give him 2.8 in his option year? Obviously, Cava's agent was the, the person that thought that was a good idea. I mean, if he'd lit it up, if he'd had three, even two, Sebastian Driussi-style seasons with the Whitecaps, you'd be like, he's worth that. But he didn't. And he's most certainly not. So, yeah, we'll get into all, all those roster decisions. In fact, we'll start off by talking about those roster decisions. And I've got to start by saying thank you for for joining us because I, I know that this has been a difficult week for you. you. You've lost your jersey boy, your go-to guy, Jake Norwinski, has moved on and I'm sure, sure your chat with Axel was just like 50 questions as to why did you let Jake go. Yeah, it was tough. I, I'm still in mourning over one of my favourite Whitecaps players uh, no longer with the Caps. Uh, it's been a tough week, Michael. Thank you for, for mentioning it. Uh, I did ask Axel about that, and yeah, we'll just get to it now. Uh, the performance on the pitch, it, it wasn't what they needed to see from Jake. And I mentioned, you know, he does a lot in the community, Hope and Health. He's the MLSPA union rep. He's the mm-hmm. vice captain. He does tons of media. He's one of the second longest tenured first team player. But at the end of the day, he, he wasn't getting the job done on the pitch where they wanted to see more from him and it just wasn't happening. So they declined his option. I believe it would have been at 335 K if they had picked it up. So he's now a free agent and hopefully for Jake and his wife and the newborn baby, they can find a place where they can get a long-term deal and they can kind of get situated financially and, and maybe grasp, uh, get a hold of a, a new spot with a new team. But obviously it's tough. Uh, when a player like that leaves, that's been great with the media, great with the fans, great for the team on and off the pitch. I know uh, Axel mentioned that everyone everyone loves Jake. It's been so great on and off the pitch. So it was a really hard decision for the team. But moving forward, they want to finish top four in the, the Western Conference and earn a playoff spot. And to do that, you have to make hard decisions. you got to move on from players that you feel you could get more out of other players and other options. So uh, that's what happened with Jake Nurinsky, and that's why he's not going to be with the Caps uh, next season. And I'm going to be in mourning still. Yeah, it's it's the right decision. And, I mean, the stuff he's done off the pitch has been tremendous, and he is a great guy. But the, the thing is, you've just got to be brutal here and say, we're a football club. It's like the Whitecaps are a football club. They need to get the players that's doing it on the pitch. You can be the best person. Like Greg Klazura when he was here was fantastic off the pitch. 
but he's not the guy that you wanted regularly as your starter on it. And, I mean, Jake will find somewhere to go because he's got six MLS seasons now under his belt. He's got that experience and his salary isn't too, too bad. I'm pretty sure he will land a deal. We were looking and his dad, interestingly, doesn't follow many people on Twitter, but is following the new St. Louis club, who, of course, just added Timmy Parker. Yeah, we're going to start the rumor here that Jake's going to go to St. Louis just based on who his dad's following. So yep. that's that's what we're starting. That's what we're going to say. So if it Re- happens, give us all the credit. If it doesn't, you never heard nothing. Reuniting Robbo's or half of Robbo's backline from 2017. Yeah. I mean, that would be a good fit. And that would be a good addition, I think, for St. Louis as well, because you're getting a, an MLS Lots rep. of leadership, lots of experience, some two... Two tri-state guys that know the league very well, so we'll see what happens in the loop. I I think, and I again, this is preempting, but we're going to play you in the next episode with, with Axel. But I, I spoke about this at the end of the season when we did our usual sort of in out on the bubble. Should they stay? Should they go? And I said, look, the club needs to make tough decisions. They need to make those hard decisions. And I was a little bit worried that the, the last four games, that run that they had, was maybe going to paper over the cracks a little bit and they would think, you know, you know maybe these players are good enough. But to, to fight on four different tournaments next year, to get better than just being a scraping into the playoffs, to be a top four side, which is what the ambition needs to be now for this club, they've got to make these tough decisions. And I've got to say, I think they've been great in doing it. They had to be ruthless. They've had to improve the team from top to bottom. The depths had to get stronger. The challengers to the starters has got to be there. And I think overall, I'd maybe you could argue maybe that Cody Cropper. You could argue that he was maybe a guy that you could have kept. But I think the correct decisions on all the other players have has been made. Yeah, I agree. I also asked uh, about Cody Cropper, so. He was a veteran guy that brought leadership. He pushed Thomas Hall at times. And, you know, he had kind of a slight hold on the number one for a little while while Thomas was injured. But I, I guess they wanted to see more from their backup goalie. Uh, they mentioned that they're, that's an area they're going to target in the offseason. So uh, we'll see who they bring in to push Thomas. Uh, Cody, I believe, was making less than a hundred grand, so it wasn't yeah. like it was a big financial thing. So maybe a surprise there, and he was the uh, second MLSPA rep for the team, so another hole to fill off the pitch. So we'll see ha- what happens there too. Oh, interesting. I mean, well, in the next part, we'll have a look at some of the players that's uh, available at the moment from other teams that have either declined options or are in free agency. The one option the Whitecaps did take was Derek Cornelius. Now, he's been on loan in Greece with Panatolikos. He's there until the end of this year. They have an option to buy. So if the Whitecaps didn't pick up his option with this, then they wouldn't get this transfer fee. But either way, I think this is a win-win for the Whitecaps because if the Greek side decide that we want to buy Derek, then they get a transfer fee, they get GAM, they can then spend that. If they don't, the Whitecaps are getting an experienced left-sided centre-back that they very badly need. 
a guy that's at the World Cup and they're strengthening that back line. So it's a win-win for, for the Whitecaps. That said, I would be amazed if Derek Cornelius is back here come January. Yeah, I agree. I don't expect him to be back. I think his stock could even rise further with how well he plays at the World Cup. Uh, anything, if he does come back, he's got to kind of learn a new system with Coach Fanny, uh, mm. a, a different players on the team. So it'd be, it'd be, they like to use it. It's like signing a new player. So uh, we'll see uh, what happens with DC, but I don't think he'll be back. Two other guys that the door's still open to them, but I don't think we'll see them back, at least not as players, is to St. Ricketts, Florian Jungworth. They're both now free agents, so other clubs could come in and, and make them an offer. Whitecaps have said that talks are continuing about off-the-pitch opportunities. So for Toss, we know he's involved in, in the front office and he wants to get more involved in the, the business side of the game. Flo Jungworth was doing uh, some assistant coaching with the under-16s in the academy last year. So, I mean, you have to think if you're looking at off the pitch with Flo, you could be looking at a coaching opportunity there, maybe even tying that in with a little bit of community work as well because he's got that kind of personality. And you spoke to to Flo uh, a few weeks ago as well. Did he give you an inkling that he wanted to stay in Vancouver? That was like a month ago. Um I think so. He was intrigued by the two options that Axel presented. Obviously, he would not tell me what they were. I, I asked a couple times. Uh, but I believe one of them is coaching. So I think the option is to come back and do some coaching with the team. And I think that's something he's he and his wife are going to think about if they want to stay here and that's an avenue he wants to pursue. But again, you have to see, is that player, do they want to continue playing professionally? Do they feel they have a lot to offer? Can they get another uh, role somewhere else? Would they want to pack up and leave for a new city? So I think that's something Flo and his family will have to decide. As far as Toss Rakers is concerned, I think he'll be back and he'll be working in a front office or an office type role with the Whitecaps in the community. He's so great at that. He was instrumental in getting Stephanie LeBay on board with the club. So I can see... Uh, a role for uh, Ricketts in that regard. Uh, honestly, I don't see either player coming back and playing on the pitch for the team next year. No, I don't see them back. I, I, I definitely don't see Toss back playing at all. Flo could get offers. I mean, there could be even a USL side that wants to come in and maybe even offer him a player-coach role or something. So, I mean, he has to take all that into account. He spoke a lot about his off-the-pitch life and how that's important to him and his family and his dogs. And th- that's what you've got to take into account. If you're settled here and you've got a chance to start the next stage of your, of your career, I mean, that, that's something to, to look for. Five players, definitely not, well, say definitely not returning. You can never say never in, in football because suddenly you could suddenly get a call saying, eh, we might want to bring you back after all. But five players that the Whitecaps didn't, exercise the contract options on. We spoke about goalkeeper Cody Cropper already, and we spoke about Jake Norwinski. Marcus Godinho, who is eligible for the re-entry draft, didn't get taken in stage one. I don't think that's a big surprise, although he wasn't on a lot. But again, it goes back to me saying, there's better players out there, and you've got to improve the overall quality of the squad, and you've got to make the tough decision and I think it's maybe the same with Leo Wusu as well, that there's better players out there that you could probably get cheaper as well or for the same price. So 
it's improving the squad by making these omissions, really. Yeah, neither was a surprise. I didn't expect either of them to be back with the club. Uh, you can find players maybe for cheaper or similar salary, can maybe fit in roles you know, with the club there. So them not coming back, not a big surprise. Obviously, Cavallini is the biggest surprise. So uh, let's get into that. Um, mm. What are your thoughts on on this option? And you think it was the right time for the club to move on from him? Absolutely. I did not want him back. And at 2.8 million, I definitely would not have wanted him back. Now, I know it caused a lot of surprise because fans just saw that he was released and they're like, why would you not take the option and then sell him? You've got to look at it that, yeah, he could be in demand after the World Cup, but I'm pretty sure the Whitecaps have done a lot of homework and spoke to the agent and seen what offers might be there. There's been rumours that there was clubs in Europe interested, which I would be find that hard to believe. Argentina and Mexico was mentioned as possible landing spots. But you've got to look at it. If you take that option on Cava and then there's not a deal comes forward, the Whitecaps are stuck with a yeah. 2.8 million salary or they're having to buy him out. And yeah. you're not gonna you're not gonna yeah. that's just throwing money away. And I know fans until JJ tweeted that that's what the option was, we're like, this is stupid by the Whitecaps, it's stupid business. But then when you see that figure, it's like, you know, it's not. And, I mean, we, we've been critical on this show of the Whitecaps over the years, but I think one thing that you can see is under the stewardship of Axel Schuster, Nick Overhill, and this group that they've brought in, the club has run way, way better than it has. And you've got people making proper football decisions and that's what this is. You, you look at his stats, 63 MLS appearances, only 46 of them are starts. So he's not even necessarily a guaranteed starter. And that's over three seasons, 18 goals and three assists. That worked out at a goal every 234 minutes that he actually played. So mm -hmm. every five halves of football, every two and a half games, your DP is finding the back of the net. And that is not what you want from your DP. You look at Driussi, who's got like more goals than him in a season. Ola Kamara, who I'll touch upon in the next part, he scored 19 goals last year, which is more than Cavallini's got in three seasons combined. Plus, you look at the 104 fouls conceded. He picked up 22 yellow cards and two reds. So that's a yellow card every three games. Based on the minutes he actually played, it's a yellow card every second game. Now you're talking yellow cards like it was Halloween candy or rice at a wedding. <laughs> uh, you can't have that. You can't have a striker making as much money as Cavallini was making, getting yellow cards, suspensions. You need him available to play in such crucial games, like down the stretch when you needed him to try and make the playoffs. Obviously, Brian White had the knee tendonitis throughout the year. And so he was never able to get into a rhythm. So you needed Cavallini and he wasn't available. So uh, talking to Axel, they both sides kind of felt it was the right time to move on. I know uh, Cavallini, he wasn't all that happy here in the end. And there was some stuff. And obviously his, his role was not maybe what we thought it would be in terms of minutes. He was kind of battling Brian for the minutes. And 
he was in and out of the lineup, and I believe he had a partially torn, it was his knee, something, I'm trying to think. Brian White? I reported, no, Cavalini. Oh, Kava. Yeah. He was playing with a partially torn thing. I can't remember if it was his knee or... Oh. Yeah, I wrote about it somewhere. Uh, yeah, so he was a little bit banged up, but yeah, we had to move on. You know, you're paying that much money, but now we got to see who are they going to get to come in to play in that striker position because you take away Cavs' goals. He led the team in goals in two yeah. of those three years, so he did score, just maybe not on a regular basis. And he even tossed Ricketts put in a few goals, so you got to find those oh, goals. Yeah. There, there's a lot of goals now gone from this team. The thing with Kava, like I I do not doubt that he's a good player. I wish he would stop doing Penenka penalty kicks. He scored though. Just, just. And I think we've seen him do that and it not go well. But the the thing with Kava is he's a good player. He's got talent. But as soon as a player says I can't control my emotions, big question marks over him. And I'm not saying clubs will have looked at that stamp that he did this year and just take that one thing in isolation and say we don't want him, but they are going to look at his output and feel he's not got the output that we, we want for a player. Now, maybe he goes and lights up at the World Cup and he gets a good deal. He's going to land somewhere, but I, I don't think MLS is suited to his style, and I think that's fundamentally where a lot of it comes into. He needs to be in a big, bustling league like genuinely, he would probably do well in Scotland because it's like fast paced and there's a lot of like hustle and bustle. They do have VAR there now, which before VAR, he would have been perfect there. But I think going back to South America, maybe Mexico, that's maybe going to be the best option for him. The Whitecaps need to obviously replace him. We'll touch a little bit on that in the next part, but they need to get something different. They need to get a different kind of player, a different kind of player from Brian White. And I think that is what, what they will do. And um, the Whitecaps do have three new players for us to talk about to round off this part. And one of them is a striker on the MLS team. Simon Betcher became the second WFC2 player signed this week. We'll come to the first one shortly. Oh, I found That's it. I found it. I found it. Cavallini had a partially torn quad for an entire month this season. Oh, I genuinely don't remember that, but I genuinely don't remember last week. <laughs> yeah, so. <laughs> um, now let's get into the striker then that we have got, Simon Betcher. I had it down that pre-season was going to be a battle between him, Easton Ungaro, and maybe Toss Ricketts, if they were thinking about coming back, for that last striker depth role. So we knew Toss was probably not coming back. Easton Ungaro went and signed with Pacific FC. So that left Simon Betcher and he got the deal and I think he earned it because he's he, he was the 16th pick in the first round of the MLS Super Draft this year and the, the Whitecaps' first pick. Whitecaps signed him to WFC 2 and he led that team with eight goals, also had four assists, 22 appearances. He did have a slow start with the team. And he struggled to maybe make that adjustment from college to the pro game, which a lot of players do. He then clicked and he found the chemistry with his teammates and he did really well and then led the team. And it is hard to find your stride sometimes at, at the next level, 
but once he did, he was excellent. And he got two call-ups to the MLS team, making his appearance and his debut in one of those games, scoring the equaliser against Houston, although I still think Cava thinks he got that goal, in that 2-1 win, which then sparked it, the comeback. So he's earned it. He's done it the hard way. He's not just been a draft pick that's come here and been handed a deal and then hasn't proved his worth and had to go. He's gone down to the, the lower leagues, earned his contract this way, and he might not be used tons. He might still split his time with WFC too, but I think it's a good addition and I, I think he's deserved it. Yeah, I agree. I think it's a good addition as well. Hopefully he gets to play in actual games and he's able to get some minutes and practice with the first team on a regular basis so he can keep developing and evolving as a striker. They need strikers. They need some some young enthusiasm, some young players to fit into uh, any system. As you mentioned, he was really great with uh, FC2 this year, so it's a well-deserved contract for the Brooklyn kid, and we'll see what happens. The, the thing with, with Betcher is they've only signed him through 2023, so they still obviously want to have a look to see if he is MLS-worthy. There's options for the There's three options season. for three after, yeah, but I think that's sensible because... We don't know. We, we saw what he could do at MLS Next Pro. So we, we've we got a small sample size in MLS, and he did well. He didn't look out of place in that Houston game. So I think that's the, the right way of doing it. And again, feel kudos to the club. They're doing things the right way. I think we should mention the rule where a player can only be called up a certain amount of times and yeah. play. You can only so have fans, four. Fans four, know that that's why the kids weren't playing very much. Four call-ups, and you can only be played twice. Yeah. And I'd like that to change. Me too. That if you can be called up four times, you can be played the four times. I understand maybe not increasing it from four, but let them play more more than twice to have a proper look at them because that's the best testing ground is seeing them in an actual game. And if you're a team and you're either a couple of goals to the good or you're a couple of goals down, that's the time to chuck a guy on and just see how he looks. Yeah. So I would like that as a slight tweak to to those rules. I'll have to ask the Caps new MLSPA union rep next year, whoever that is. Yeah. That'll be interesting to see who that is. Another player, though, that's made the jump from WFC2, and the first one that was announced this week, and it's not a surprise to anyone, Ali Ahmed. Yep. Very much deserved as well. 22-year-old wing-back, full-back. First player to sign from WFC2 to the MLS team under the new era. He made two MLS appearances last season. Again, didn't look out of place at all in either of them. Mid-season injury kind of derailed things a, a little bit for, for Ali, and then he had to kind of fight his way back into the WFC2 team after recovering. Still made 15 appearances for that team, and he led the team with five assists. He also led the team with 39 tackles as well. He's been signed through 2025 with the option for 2026, and a, a great addition to the team, and I'm really looking forward to seeing what Ali can do now. Yeah, that's a really good signing for the Whitecaps' first team. He's going to push for minutes at the fullback position, whether it be Javain or maybe even Luis Martins. So I think he'll have every opportunity during preseason and early on to showcase what he can do, and if he can kind of 
maybe fill in or even push those two guys for first team starter minutes. So, uh, yeah, another uh, strong signing by Axel and the Caps to shore up the depth and uh, bring in some FC2 players and see if they can be the next generation of Whitecaps players here. And it's good to see it. I think it's what you want. You want to see this progression. And for the guys that's in the team, and there was a number of players re- released that won't be back next year, but there's an, a, a young core that has been held with, with WFC2 as well. But you want to see these players move up to the next level so you know there is that pathway. And um, for people listening to this, go out and support this team. They play such good stuff. It's a fun atmosphere as well. And we'll talk to Axel about that in the next show. It's not about winning for this team. It is about this development and moving the players on. If they could just move one player up every year, they'd be happy with that. If they can move two or more, they're absolutely delighted. And Ali's a great guy as well. I had a good chat with him back in episode 510. If you didn't hear that or you want to revisit it, check that out. And his story, it's been a a hard journey for him, but he's got here now. And he puts a lot of the credit down to Vanny Sartini and the belief that Vanny showed in him when Vanny was the under-23 coach before they had the official team. So it's great to see that. And the third new addition is a homegrown product, but not from Vancouver, from Montreal. 22-year-old centre-back, Karifa Yao. And we'll, we'll be speaking to Eve about Montreal's decisions in, in part three. A couple of them were surprising. But as soon as Karifa Yao was available, I'd said the Whitecaps need to... to make a play for him and to bring him here and they have he's just 22 he's still got a lot to learn he was loaned from montreal to cavalry fc for the last two years in the cpl played every game for cavalry this year did really well with them he's only on ninety thousand as well which is why he was picked up in the first round of the re-entry draft because in the first round they pick up their current salary or whatever their option was going to be so 90 this year, you wouldn't imagine that option's much more. He's a former under-23 international with Canada. And I thought it was surprising that Montreal let him go. But Olivier Renard told IMFC Radio that they, they could have brought him back. They could have triggered his option. But he would have been their fifth or sixth defender. And at 22, if they'd maybe just had him on the bench a couple of times, is, is that good for him? And he said, no, it wasn't. And he said it's important to the club that Karifa went out and played, whether that was in the CPL, whether it was to go and sign for another team. And they would, they'd keep an eye on him and they could bring him back or he could continue his career elsewhere. And I like how they handled him. And I, I think that is the way forward and I think you're seeing that with the Whitecaps now as well some of the guys that they've released from WFC2 they could have brought back but it might be better for them now to go on and move into CPL to improve their career that way so that's why Montreal let him go the one thing I would say though about him Har is he's good in the air he isn't great with the ball at his feet at times and you wonder where he might fit in with the Whitecaps in that regard because obviously Vanny likes to play the ball out the back. He likes his ball playing centre-backs. I think he'll be maybe challenging Matteo Capagna for the last depth spot at MLS level. 
and whichever one of those doesn't make it will be playing most of their minutes in WFC 2. Yeah, I think that's a good idea. So we'll keep an eye on that. We'll keep an eye on the other additions as well. Final little bit of Whitecaps news to to talk about in this part. Pre-season, details have been mostly revealed. The players, you didn't have it all, right? I had most of it. Yeah, we didn't have all the dates. And I part, had Marbella part Spain, of your big I had reveal, the dates. Yeah, Spain's not been mentioned yet. Well, it will be. <laughs> January 6th, the players are getting back for their, their training on the 6th, the 7th, the 8th, and doing all the medical testing. They'll be on the pitch in Vancouver on January 9th. Then we believe they're heading over to Spain very shortly after that for a couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. Then they'll be back for a couple of days in Vancouver. Then January 30th, they depart to Palm Springs for the Coachella International Tournament. And a lot of clubs go into that. I'm hoping to to maybe go down for it. It It's so expensive, though. We were chatting before we recorded. I've looked. The flights aren't expensive, but the accommodation is crazy for for February. Yeah, it's going to be warm enough. I'll have scorpions and snakes in with me. Yeah, they'll be gone for a lot of uh, January, most of January, and the early part of February. So uh, don't expect us to have a lot of coverage because we won't be at training. I, I don't know. I'm, maybe I'll go to Marbella. It's a lovely place. I've been there once, had a, a nice day there. Send me a postcard, man. It'd probably be cheaper, actually, to go to Marbella than it's going to be to go to Palm Springs, by the looks of it. The, the teams well, that's going for this tournament, though, Charlotte, DC United, Galaxy, LAFC, Minnesota... New York City, New York Red Bulls, Portland, San Jose, St. Louis, and TFC. That is way better test than they had last year. And they need it because they're going to obviously be in Champions League action. I think this is a a great pre-season. I love my pre-season tournaments. Went to Disney tournament, went down to Portland a number of years. This is way, way better for the Whitecaps this year. But that is our Whitecaps news of the week. We're going to kind of turn our attention to some of the players that other clubs let go this weekend. Would the Whitecaps be interested in them? And we'll be back chatting about that after this. Hi, I'm Jake Nowinski, and you're listening to the AFTN Soccer Show. Don't be afraid of your freedom! Welcome back to the AFTN Soccer Show on CITR Radio 101.9 FM. And kicking off this part from Bells Hill, North Lanarkshire, Scotland, 
The Soup Dragons, with their big breakthrough single from 1990, cover of a Rolling Stone song, I'm Free, reached number five in the UK charts, taken from their second album, Love God. It's a band that changed their style. They were really guitar poppy. I loved them. They've got a singles compilation called Hang Ten that I still regularly play. And then they kind of went down a kind of indie dance route. Happy Monday, Stone Roses kind of vibe. That was the big song, I'm Free. And I've picked that because there's a lot of players free to find new clubs at the moment after all the roster decisions were made this week. 82 players available in free agency alone, which is the most we've ever seen. That kicked off 10 o'clock on Wednesday. Hasn't been a lot of movement yet in that. The free agency applies to players who are at least age 24, with at least five MLS years and seasons under their belt that have either had their options declined or they're out of contract at the end of this season. The free agents, they can negotiate a new contract with any MLS club, including their previous team, subject to certain restrictions, of course. And there's no limit on the number of free agents a team may sign each year. Now, when I drew up our rundown, and I sent you this on Thursday night, it's before we spoke to Axel. And there's some interesting names in there, but we both spoke to Axel about this, and it doesn't look like there might be a lot of interest in the guys in free agency. Nope. But there's a good reason for that, which Axel will go into all the details, which we'll play on Wednesday. We won't go into it all just now, but a lot of it is tax-related and tax breaks that they get in certain states. And we're trying to work out what the states were, and you said it was Texas, Florida, Tennessee, and Washington. I thought we are not going to go into it, and then you just go into it. That's what I do. But, oh. yeah, Axel will explain more. Tune in to episode 536. But despite that, I still think there's some players that, again, never say never. And there's some players that really interest me that are available. And I do feel that this is the route that the club need to keep continuing to go down in getting experienced MLS players in the squad. They've been so much better at that in the last couple of seasons. And just looking at this year, bringing in Blackman, bringing in Gressel, two very big additions. And... Maybe they'll go for the free agents market, but it could be like trades within the the league to to continue that gam tam getting handed out left right and centre. But I want to chat about some of the players that are available and why they would interest me, and get your thoughts on it, Har. So goalkeeper position, we obviously know the Whitecaps want to bring in a a, a player that's going to challenge Thomas Hassel, and they need to. But it needs to be a player that's got some experience. And if I look at some of the players that are available, and there's a number available, and I think some you can rule out because of what their salary is going to be, and they would be coming in as your number one. And they're not quite wanting that. They're wanting someone that will challenge Thomas Asal. Now, it can be someone that can challenge him and will be the number one. So they're not saying this year Thomas is the number one, which they said in January last year when Max left. So... The number one spot is up for grabs and they want to make sure that they get the right guy in. So the two guys I've highlighted, and one of them is another player from Montreal, James Pantemis, heading to the World Cup after Max's injury. He's 25 years old, six foot one, 
He's made 32 appearances for Montreal between 2020 and 2022. He's given up 46 goals in that time, but he's had a mixed Montreal defence in front of him. This season, when he's had a really good defence in front of him, he's had four clean sheets in 11 appearances, uh, seven overall. He kind of lost his starting spot, and Eve's going to cover that in the next part. I think he would be a good option to challenge Hassal. He was on just shy of 161 last year. His option would have been considerably more, which is why I think that Montreal let him go. But I, I think at the same time, there are better keepers out there than him. Yeah, I don't see him coming here. I think he will cost too much, and I think he's still a little bit young. Maybe he does not have that veteran MLS experience that the Whitecaps are looking for. So I'm going to have to say no to James to come here. No, James. I also think from his point of view, if he was coming to the club to be a guaranteed starter, I think he Mm -hmm. would like that. But if you're, I mean, it's the, the nature of a goalkeeper. You've got to prove your worth. But he's at a stage now in his career where he needs to be a starter somewhere. Exactly. So coming to Vancouver may not be the best option, but I'll keep that out there. The other guy that really appealed to me, and we chatted a bit before we were recording, he is a veteran. He's 33. He's played in Canada before. Clint Irwin, 10 years in the league, won an MLS Cup with TFC, knows Canada well was on just over 213,000 last year, didn't play for the Rapids last year, has just made 11 appearances in the league in the last three years, but 137 overall. He strikes me as a kind, the kind of guy that you're maybe wanting, but you're shaking your head. Do you feel he's too old? I think he's too old. I think he will cost uh, too, more, too much money. And do we know if he wants to come in and be a starter? Would he be comfortable uh, being kind of a, a backup? Um, well, he's had we to be for really the last know. three years. So, I mean, he's used to that role now. Does he want to come back to Canada, though? We don't know this. Well, he liked his time here. I remember speaking to him when he came back with Colorado. Um, What's he, he going to say? He didn't like his time here? Yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's that's very true. Good point. Well made. Uh, I just I like that kind of profile, though. I think that should be I the think kind it's of guy they go off for. the radar, like Cody was last year. Yeah, that just really came sure. from nowhere. Yeah. yeah, exactly. I still wish things could have worked out with Evan Newton. I think he was a, a he's a good keeper. I like Evan, but yeah. no, I like Cody though. I wish Cody. Had yeah, that. I mean, again, never say never. You you just don't know. But I think they do need a, a veteran and ideally someone that has started in this league. Maybe a bit better than Cody. Maybe that's what they're looking for. I think they need someone that is better than Cody because they've got to get somebody that, when when they announce it, you go, oh, I could see him being the number one. Oh. Defenders. Now, the defender I really wanted, Ryan Hollingshead. I knew it wasn't going to happen. It was pretty obvious LAFC were going to re-sign him, and they did. I know of a defender, maybe from New Jersey? Yeah, no. I, there is a defender that's playing with New York Too that soon. I would like. Alexander Callens. Oh. 30 years old, out of contract to NYC, a left-footed centre-back that the Whitecaps need. 
His salary last year was Um, 814,000. Now, I'm sure the team might balk at a salary like that, but you get what you pay for. And I think defensively, when you look at the fact the team had a minus 17 goal difference and still almost made the playoffs, which still blows my mind. Now, I know the bottom two teams in the East got into the playoffs with a minus nine goal difference. But to be even in the running with a minus 17 goal difference is just insane. And if they tighten up defensively, top four could be something that you're looking at. Callens, obviously an MLS Cup winner, Peruvian international, six years MLS experience. He has a US green card. Oh. Mm-hmm. He, he's rumoured to be coming back, though, to NYC as a TAM player. Yeah, it'd I don't be think crazy he's coming to here. See them... He's not coming here. Nah, it'd be crazy to see him let him go. There's not a lot really that stand out. I mean, Matt Hedges at Dallas, he's pricey he's though as well. Yeah, 900k. I think if you're going to pay that, you probably want a younger guy. But mm-hmm. 319 MLS appearances, he couldn't agree with a new contract in Dallas. If you want to get even older, Stephen Betashure is available again. 35 now. He was only on 172,000. And teams no. win. MLS Cups with Stephen Betashure. He'd be 36 at the start of the season. I'm just throwing that as, an, as a bit of fun because Beta was a very good player. But I think our fullbacks, we've got youth there. The midfield, which I do feel is an area that we need to strengthen, not many are jumping out at me, but that's probably because the good ones, clubs want to keep them. I see Breck Shea there. What about Breck Shea? Mm, let's move quickly on. Jonathan Osorio. He'd be fun. He's going to Europe. I know. If Cava was here, we might be could have talked Osorio into coming back. But yeah, he's going to go to Europe. The only one midfielders in the free agents that I was like, oh, Mimo Rodriguez at Houston. Yeah, he's good. The reason for that is every time he plays against the Whitecaps, I'm always like, man, he's... He's so good against us. So I actually delved into his stats. And against the Whitecaps, he's had three goals and an assist in eight games. Mm-hmm. So he does kind of raise his level. He's only on 311,000 last year. And he's a, a Dynamo homegrown. He's 26. He, yeah. Nine MLS seasons under his belt. And he's played regularly for, for six of those. 136 appearances. His output, though, it's only 17 goals and 14 assists. I thought it would have been more. But as a number eight, I think you may be needing a, a bit more. But, I mean, that could be... Like, if no one ends up picking him up and we haven't filled that number eight role, that could be somebody we have a little look at. Okay, I think that's the one player so far we can agree on. Forwards. And I know this is maybe pie in the sky for two of these guys, mainly because... We both asked Axel about this first guy, and it looks like it's a firm no there, which is Ola Kamara. And that's just because I've wanted him here for years, and I wanted the Kamara and Kamara front line. K and K, that would have just been fantastic. 33 now, Norwegian, seven years, MLS experience. Nine goals this year just, but that was on a poor DC team. He'd be good with Julian Gressel too. They'd be, they'd be able to link up quite well. I think that would be good. He got 19 last year, which was, as I mentioned in the first part, more than Kava got in his three seasons here. 
Mm-hmm. And he was the joint leading scorer. He only lost the golden boot on the count back for, for assists. 83 goals, 14 assists and 175 matches. But his salary was 1.5 million. But you'd be bringing him in as a DP. He's a DP that would know the league. If we're bringing in a DP striker, and it's not to say that this is where the DP might be used, because we could be bringing in a DP centre-back. Actually, let, let's ask you that. We've got a DP spot available. And Axel kind of told both of us that they're looking to bring in a goalkeeper, they're looking to bring in a defender, which is probably centre-back, a winger and a striker. Yeah. If you're using a DP spot, do you use it on a centre-back? Do you use it on a striker? Uh, I would say striker because you need to score goals. You have center backs already, and so there maybe would be a log jam. There is a need for another striker along with Brian White, so I would use it on a striker. Although you are paying, you are paying Brian White uh, new money on his new deal. So mm. yeah, I still think you need another striker because if, if something happens to Brian or he's not recovered from his knee, you're hooped. Oh yeah, you can't ha- like he is not our number one striker for next year. He's number two off the bench option or in a two striker formation. Another thing we can agree on. Would you? Would your preference be a DP striker from within the league and make a big splash in somebody, or would it be to bring in somebody from the outside? And it doesn't have to be a big name, because you look at some of the guys that's lit this league up that we've not heard of. I know. A big name would maybe sell some extra tickets, sell some jerseys, but you haven't got a guarantee that they're gonna like work out here because not all the big names do. I just want a proven goal scorer that will take to this league quickly and continue that form. And we've had a lot of busts over the years. If they're not, not gonna get a big name, then you should probably get someone that at least knows the league, has played in the league for a while is used to the travel, the different atmospheres, the different pitches. and So I think that's something good to do. But obviously you want to hit a home run and get a big name striker. Yeah. But this club has never done that. So we'll see who they go after, who they kind of target. Maybe it's somebody uh, in Europe across the pond that's not a big name, but we maybe, maybe we don't know them yet. Well, yeah. I mean, you look at some of the leagues, Portugal or Belgium or even exactly. Greece or something like that, and a guy that's lighting it up there would be an interesting one to bring in. I, I do feel like, as much as I like Ola Kamara, he's, I think he's 5'11", so he's not a big guy. And I think the profile needs to be a taller guy, somebody that can head in the crosses from hopefully Ryan Caicedo, a new winger. Or if he doesn't head it into the back of the net, he knocks it into the danger zone for a Brian White or a Ryan to be there and tuck it away. Mm-hmm. I think that has to be the profile that, that they go for. So there's a six foot two striker with MLS experience that is also available. Jizzy Zardis, as we always call him on the show. That's not his name. Are we going to get Jizzy with it? No. He was on 1.55 last year, so he's actually on more than Ola Kamara. The Rapids might re-sign him, but if they do... They've got to send Gam to Columbus as part of their their deal that they had. So they may not want to do that. He got nine goals last year on a Colorado team that wasn't really firing on all cylinders at times. He's maybe not at the top level of his career that he was a few years ago, but he's got that height that I'm wanting. 
Um, 97 goals, 25 assists, and 267 MLS appearances over 10 years. He's the one that probably appeals most, but I think I think the Whitecaps should and will get better than that. Um, they're not going to sign Zardes. I think there's too many suitors for him. He'll cost too much. He has a lot of experience. He's from the West Coast. He's from uh, Los Angeles, Hawthorne, California. So he knows the West Coast. He knows the league. He's been up to Vancouver. Uh, I think he'd be a great signing. But again, that does not seem like the direction the Whitecaps are going to go to. Axel told me that they are not going to be signing a free agent striker. So no Zardes. No Kamara, and I, it's too bad because Zardes gives really good hugs, and I think mm. it'd be a great addition. No Freddie Montero. I know, another guy that gives good hugs. Well, see, he, he's 35, and he got goals last year in their Champions League run. He got a yeah. few in MLS. He was only on 110, the hometown discount, obviously. Darwin Quintero at 35, probably too old for me now, and I just never hit those levels at, at this league. Mm-hmm. Tesho Akindeli is a guy that you could maybe see come in as third striker on the Canadian, team. Canadian, yes. He's third. I don't know. It feels like he's flipping houses or he's working the market for his city planning. So I don't know. Maybe oh. he's too busy with that. Well, he's had nine Do you not seasons. Do follow him in on Twitter? Do you not no. see his tweets? No. So has he got into that set of things? Now? He's big into the urban stuff. Oh, interesting. 43 goals, 16 assists, 237 appearances. Less than half of those were starts, though. On minutes played, it's a goal every 267 minutes, which is worse than Kava, but not by much, and he's a lot cheaper, and a much bigger sample size as well. But he only made four starts last year from his 27 appearances. Did get three goals. He was on 340. I think if you could get that for half, as a third striker, be a good, I'd take a good de- He could be a good depth guy, but not your big striker guy. No. Obviously, there's so many MLS mechanisms that you can we, add There's players. someone we have not mentioned that knows the West Coast very well. Eric Hurtado is free agent. Oh, yes. I saw he was available and I thought... But... E-Money. Oh, he okay. only scores bangers. The, the COVID restrictions aren't here anymore. He can travel over the border again. Exactly, yeah. If he knows where it is. But was there anyone else that jumped out in the free agents? Obviously, Axel's basically kind of indicated we're not getting a free agent, but that could change from January or February. Not a free agent striker. I mean, there's a lot of veterans here, but... Mm. There was no one that really jumped. There's a reason why their options have not been picked up. Yeah, a lot of it is salary, though, as well. I mean, if some of these guys are still available January, February, might bring them down to the tournament, have a look at them. I would have said Anton Tinnerholm of NYCFC, but he's already said he's going back to Malmo, Sweden, so yeah. he's not coming back here. But th- with all the other mechanisms as well, because obviously the Super Draft's earlier this year, uh, or this season, because it's going to be this year, and we've got the waivers draft, which no one goes in, and the re-entry draft, which three players There's too many drafts, yeah. like the military. There was a couple of interesting names in the re-entry draft stage that if they were looking for depth or even to kind of have floating between WFC 2 or whatever, one is more of a joke. Jonathan Klinsman, LA Galaxy goalkeeper, just so we can sign every national team manager's son, past and present. I don't know if he'd get on with Bearhalter though. I'm not sure. Uh, Callum Montgomery at Minnesota. Nanaimo lad, taken in the draft fourth overall. 
hasn't made a, a single MLS appearance for Dallas or Minnesota. It was on just over 87. Maybe they take that as a second round pick. He's been playing in USL for an MLS Next Pro for, for the sides, but it's, it's going to be interesting now, really, what the Whitecaps do. D- do you see them making additions sooner rather than later? Well, they've already gone around on the four positions that they've been targeting, that they want to get a new player in those spots, whether it be striker, winger, uh, defender, goalie. And so they'd like to get it done before training camp starts. Obviously, Axel didn't want to put pressure on himself and the club to to get those done by the training camp start. So I expect they'll get like a few of them done. I would hope they get at least two, maybe three done by January 9th or when medical starts. So I think maybe, yeah. you know, I, I would hope they get it done before Christmas starts or by the draft because yeah, then you're I mean, really pushing the panic button there. Ideally, you want them to go over to Spain with you. And yes. if it's a DP striker that's coming in, you really want him in Spain, but you really want him at that Coachella tournament because he has to get that chemistry going to hit the ground running. I think Vanny talked to you earlier about how, you know, preseason, they really wanted to have a better preseason this year and start off better this year. Well, that helps when you have the new guys with your club Mm -hmm. uh, in their various roles and meshing with the new players. So, I mean, I think it's very important they get these new players done before they go to Spain. So uh, I hope, I hope there's pressure going around somewhere because you need to do some activity if you're going to decline all those options. Absolutely. So that is it for our Whitecaps chat for this show. We've delved into the the Whitecaps season past and look forward to the future in the last couple of episodes. Wanting to kind of do that with all the Canadian teams over the, the coming weeks as well. So we're going to turn our attention to CF Montreal this week. And we're going to be joined by Eve Powell from the Ballers Round podcast to look at Montreal's season past, their roster decisions this week, and of course, six of their players are going to represent Canada at the World Cup. So join us for our chat with Eve after this. Hi, I'm Joel Waterman, and you're listening to the AFTN Soccer Show. Welcome back to the AFTN Soccer Show on CITR Radio, 101.9 FM. 
And kicking off this part, it's our Artist of the Month here at AFTN for the month of November from London, England. That was Swede. The opening track from the band's third album, Coming Up, released in 1996. Also the first single taken from it, and it was their highest chart in UK single for the band. In at number three, that was Trash. Do you know who wasn't trash this year? CF Montreal. And we're going to turn our attention to CF Montreal now, because welcome back to the show from the Ballers Round podcast and my temporary lodger for the 2026 World Cup, it's Eve Powell. Welcome, Eve. Thank you so much for having me, Michael. I'm so excited to be talking to you again. Yes, I was wanting to get you at the end of the season and then we just kind of ran out of time and I thought, oh, yeah. we'll do stuff in the off-season. It's a long off-season. Mm-hmm. And this felt like a great week to do it because there's a, a lot of things to talk about Montreal-related. Some of them Whitecaps-related now too. I know. So, I mean, let's just kick things off. It was a good season. For, for Montreal, second in the East, two points off first in the East and two points off the Supporters' Shield as well. So just one win away from being the best in MLS in the regular season. Tenth last year, so a massive improvement, especially because you missed the playoffs last year. How do you look back on the season that's just passed? Uh, so there was a lot that went on this season that was better than last season for sure. Um, you know, we can definitely talk about the sporting side and I know we're going to talk about some of the other things that changed as well, but I think, um, part of what went so well for Montreal this season was the continuity. So Montreal had brought in a lot of, um, really exciting players, really integral players to the squad last season. But with that, came a new coach um, and as well those players were a year younger than they were this season so when we talk about guys like Georgie Mihailovic or Kamal Miller or you know I mean Joel Waterman still that was only his second season in MLS coming from CPL um, and as well there were there were you know other issues for sure within kind of the composition of the squad so continuity was really important. So Montreal was able to preserve those core players um, in the in the in between season <laughs> between 2021 and 2022. They had a year of experience under their belt, a year of knowing what it was like to live in Montreal to play for this team. Um, Montreal obviously brought in some really quality acquisitions with uh, Alistair Johnston, who was who was phenomenal with the team this year. Ishmael Kone came out of nowhere to, to mm. be a real impact player. And, you know, Kai Kamara, a, a, a Vancouver legend to some yes. to some extent. I, I love Kai. I, lo- I have been dying for Kai Kamara to play for Montreal um, since I first watched him play against Montreal. <laughs> I was the same when he came here. It's like, I was like, I'd love him in a white cap shirt one day. Yeah. yeah. It, was, it was fleeting. At least you've got him for longer <laughs> than that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. His option got picked up. So hopefully yeah. he will indeed be back next season. Um, but I mean, for, you know, a guy who is 38 years old, you wouldn't have expected him to have the impact that he had on the squad. Um, so props to him. Obviously, he was really important both on and off the pitch. Um, and as well, I think one other thing that went a lot better for Montreal this season was that they were able to keep um, those key players healthy. So guys like uh, Victor Wanyama and Ramel Kyoto spent uh, a good particularly late in the season in 2021, they spent a a fair bit of time injured. And, you know, this year with Ramel Kyoto healthy, he was 15 plus goal scorer. And what more can you ask for? Right. 
And you look at how close you were to finishing first, and then you can look back as well at that. The start of the season where you just lost so many late goals and stoppage time goals. And I mean, every every fan of every team can look back and go, oh, these points could have been crucial. Mm-hmm. I mean, I could that have been you in the MLS Cup instead of Philly? You know, Montreal actually this season did a lot better when it came to conceding late goals. It was definitely part of their DNA going up um, really since 2012. But um, at least going into the later stages, I know that they were in top five for like fewest goals conceded Mm. after the 75th minute. So to be fair, like they did really improve their record. I know Montreal, they did start weak um, in the early stages of the season while they were managing Champions League. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that certainly didn't help anyone. Um, for sure, <laughs> to say the least. Yeah, I have, I have no I nice we, way to put it. We have it. that to look forward to next year here. <laughs> yes, you do. Thank you for keeping <laughs> Toronto FC out of it. <laughs> Anytime. <laughs> <laughs> the, I mean, you're letting six more goals this year. When I was looking at the stats, I was quite surprised by that. You scored 17 more, but... Yes. Looking at that defence that you built, because when it was getting mm-hmm. built, we were talking about, wow, that's just such a strong defence. And you've got the core of the the Canadian national team mm-hmm. in there, which we've now seen with the squad, which we'll come to. I'm surprised, though, that you gave up more goals this year. Yeah, no, I agree, because when you look back on it, you know, even looking back on watching the matches, it didn't necessarily feel like it, um, mm. that so many more goals were conceded. Um one thing is that the goalkeeping to start the, the season really didn't help Montreal's case. Like Montreal was by far the worst when you looked at their expected goals versus goals allowed or expected goals allowed versus goals allowed. Um, they were by far the worst um, in the league, like by a healthy margin. And that was just basically, you know, almost every shot that was coming at Sebastian Breza at the time um, was being let in, you know, the, there was really um, no help once the ball came past the defense. So, you know, I'm going to blame it largely on goalkeeping. There were certainly some defensive errors from, you know, the the back three of Miller, Camacho, and Waterman um, all on their own. And they, they were relied on a lot to contribute offensively as well this season. But um, I think largely I would place the – the inconsistent goalkeeping um, in the spotlight when it came to the additional goals conceded this year. The other end of the pitch, you were obviously banging in the goals. There was like 17 more. I'm just trying to get up the stats of your favourite player, uh, Bjorn Johnson, who Uh, is no more at Montreal. Uh, mm -hmm. How many goals did he get this year? Did he actually... Get any of this year? Did he? Because he, he, he was injured. He was out he for the whole season, once. wasn't he? Yeah. Right. Because as soon as I saw that he was released, I immediately thought of you. <laughs> yeah. Yes. My my favorite <laughs> player. Oh my gosh. Um. Yeah. That was. I gotta say that was a, a pretty tragic signing. Um. And you know, let's face it. If if he hadn't been as much of a of a disappointment as he was, and you know, I don't blame anybody for breaking their toe, but you know, last season, if we, if we use that as our example, um, Montreal wouldn't have probably wouldn't have had to sign Kai Kamara. So I wouldn't have gotten to watch Kai Kamara mm. play in a Montreal Jersey. So I guess at the end of the day, maybe I should be a little bit grateful for Bjorn Janssen being the player he ended up being. Yeah. 
I mean, we're used to having busted DPs here, especially forwards. We've had a lot of them over the years, mm-hmm. and I think we can add him for that. For, for oh, hundred percent, hundred percent. Yeah, he was made into a DP. Like it was obviously a budgetary DP. Like, yeah. you know what? That's the Vancouver to... way of doing it. Yeah, exactly. I know every 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 time they they you know tell us who's going to be a DP and stuff, they're like, oh well, we you know we do this. T- to further reasons but i'm like oh it'd be so nice if they were sparkly yeah i know we we're, we're keeping our fingers crossed we could get a sparkly one now but i guess we'll see is ryan gold not sparkly enough for you oh for me obviously yeah i mean if i can get johnny russell in there with him now oh my god the Dreamland. scottish connection oh my god oh, you would that... you would die a happy man yeah I, at montreal though it kind of feels like this might be the end of an era. I know Wilfried Nonsi kind of was asked about that at the end of the season because, I mean, it's not confirmed that tons of your players are moving on, but I think the expectation is a number of them will now move on after the World Cup. I know some are definitely moving on, mm-hmm. but do you think it's going to just be a mass exodus and you're going to have a huge rebuild ahead? Um, It's kind of hard not to feel that way, in all honesty. You know, we know for sure Georgi Mihailovic is gone. He's he's physically he's in the Netherlands now. Um, you know, Ismail Kone had interest in the summer, and um, the club that was interested in him said we're going to come back to this in January after they weren't able to make the the deal go through. And I'm pretty sure his presence at the World Cup is is just going to shine yeah. an even oh, greater spotlight. I think spotlight. that goal last week as well was yes like, versus Bahrain. That was <laughs> yes, that was an excellent goal. Exactly. So if he get if he gets any minutes um, competitively, for sure his his value is just going to skyrocket. Um, but looking at other at other players, you know, who could move on, there are certainly a good few that you could think of. I mean, even a guy like Ramel Kyoto, he is the wrong side of thirty now, but. Um, you know, there's. I'm sure there's plenty of other clubs that could that could use him as long as he stays healthy. I mean, he was he was a goal scoring machine for Montreal this year. Um, and I could see lots of other clubs, maybe even like in a Mexican league, you know, looking at him um, potentially. And I, just to be clear, I have no information on that. I'm just kind of spitballing for players who had good performances. And even just this morning, you know, a rumor came out of Italy that Bologna. Joey Saputo's other club is interested in Alistair Johnston. Oh. So, yeah. yeah. He would be the one I would think, like him and Kamal Miller, I think, are probably up there for potential moves over to you. For sure. For sure, yeah. And we as well, we know that Victor Wanyama, as it stands, certainly Mm. won't be back. Um, You know, he uh, wasn't able to reach a deal with with the club to to remain. So as far as we know, he won't be back, which is, you know, Montreal's only real DP. So yeah, there's. I think there's going to be a lot of change in the off season. I know it's early, but I mean, are you optimistic for next year, or is that was this year maybe as good as it's going to get for a little bit? Can you push on um, from that? I mean, with so many unknown factors right now, like we don't even know if Wilfred Dunsey is going to be the coach, you know, next year. Um, so with so many unknown factors as far as which players are going to end up leaving, which players might maybe sign back, you know. Um, and and obviously who's going to be leaving the ship it's so it's I find it really hard to predict I feel like regardless of of who the individual is if they're able to to find a coach similar to Wilfred Nancy 
um, as far as uh, sporting philosophy goes and, and for building a relationship with the players as well and, and building a really strong and unified locker room, then I, I am optimistic for next year because overall, especially when you look at um, within MLS, the recruitment that uh, Vasily Kremenzidis and Olivier Renard have done, it's been effective. You know, international recruitment is another story so far, mm. but nonetheless. Um, so I am optimistic because with the probable departures of quite a few players, um, Montreal should be recouping some of their some of their transfer fees in, in GAM to hopefully make some deals on um, on good MLS players from around the league. Quebec soccer, though, it just seems like thriving just now. We had the under-17 nationals for boys and girls mm-hmm. out here in October. Yeah, it was October. Everything just mm-hmm. blends into one now. <laughs> no. I was doing the commentary out at that, and it was two Quebec sides that won at under-17 level. And I know that's yeah. not even the top tier of, of Quebec youth soccer as well. And one mm-hmm. of the clubs was the club that Ishmael Coney had come through. Oh, cool. But some of the talent that's on display there it's just it looks like there's just so much young talent coming through and I spoke to the head coach of uh, CS San Laurent and he was talking about like Ishmael Coney's been a big kind of person to hold up as like you could follow this route for sure and that Montreal's taking more interest now in the local sides oh and that's so great to hear and I mean, it just seems thriving though, just now, even at university level, because we've seen obviously Montreal Caribbeans for most of the last couple of seasons doing pretty good and yeah. getting bronze again this year. Yeah, no, no, you're right. I, I don't know what's in the water here, but um, yeah, evidently, um, you know, the grassroots uh, sporting structure and actually um, the ball is round just started a collaboration with um, the folks from uh, the Milan podcast. I saw um, Milan, that, Milan yes. Week, yeah, Milan Weekly podcast, and um, they they do a local soccer show, um, and they they bring in a lot of folks from um, various teams, you know, in Quebec and, and in the greater Montreal area, as well as uh, folks from Soccer Quebec, kind of to talk about the grassroots development. So um, I'm definitely I'm gonna be listening to like more of their shows to find out what they're doing right. <laughs> Maybe yeah, because there's, spread that there's good something word. <laughs> going on. I, it's been fantastic. Even just last week at the the CCA Nationals, so it's kind of like the second tier of college soccer here in Canada. Mm-hmm. It's like a young uh, Quebec team uh, from Montmorency. I probably murdered my pronunciation as I did all week. They finished third. And it's like, these are just 17, 18 year olds playing against much older opposition yeah. as well. And it's just insane, some of the talent that I've seen this year coming out of Quebec. Well, that excites me very much then to, to see sort of what players maybe step onto the scene with the national team or or with, uh, with a pro team. Yeah, I guess. I mean, Montreal, just now, you've not got an MLS next pro team, do you? No, Montreal, the way they chose to um, work with their U23s was to have them play in the PLSQ. That was it. I knew it was something like that off the top of my head. Is that changing next year? No, not 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 that we've heard. Oh. Um, as far as they know, they're saying the same. Like, the PLSQ is obviously not just young players. There there are yeah. a lot. Of, it's, it's semi-pro, right? So um, there are certainly a lot of older players and the team did have its fair share of struggles in PLSQ this year. So um, evidently, you know, it, it, 
if they had steamrolled the entire league and then their U23s as well as a lot of like 17, 18 year old mm. players, like quite young. So if they had steamrolled the whole PLSQ, maybe it would have been a different discussion. But, you know, they they certainly um, got got a challenge um, when they when they were playing. Interesting. I mean, yeah. obviously, Montre- Montreal's MLS team's got a few gaps now, might have a few more. There's been some roster decisions this week. And for me, looking in from afar, a couple of surprising ones in there. And when I drew up what we're going to chat about and stuff, things have changed since since I did that. Because mm-hmm. I was saying, oh, I would really like Vancouver to have a look at James Pontemis and Karifa Yao. Now, all of a sudden, in Thursday's re-entry draft, one of the three players picked was the Whitecats picking Karifa Yao. And I know... A lot of people out here maybe haven't seen too much of him. You probably haven't seen too much of him because he's been out on loan for the last two seasons mm-hmm. in the CPL. First thing really but, was, were you surprised he was released? A little bit, yeah. Um, you know, he's a, he's a young uh, central defender. I think he does have a relatively different profile from the central defenders already um, in the team as well. He's certainly really, really strong aerially, which is um, something that Montreal has been really hit and miss with over the years. Although yeah, they, they did all right too. with it this year. Um, I would say he's probably like not as comfortable at, with the ball at his feet. And, um, you know, Montreal's back line is really important when it comes to making those line breaking passes to, to create attack and building and as well for building possession out of the back, whether it's to, to launch a quick counter or whether it's to, um, you know, establish kind of a, a nice phase of, of calm possession. So I, I don't know if maybe that's one of the reasons why if when they were evaluating, they, the the team maybe had some concerns about Karifa's Yao, Yao's ability with ball to feet, possibly. But I mean, he's so young. He's, he's mm-hmm. obviously still developing as a player. So I, I'm, I'm a bit disappointed, to be honest, to see him go. Um always always a little hesitant to see you release one of your homegrown players you know yeah. out into the world without getting really a look in well when you look at his salary as well he was on around 90 this year so unless it's, he had a I think crazy it was option minimum. which yeah. i wouldn't even think that's there's no way he could have been on a crazy option no i don't know why you just me. don't take him again and then send him back to cavalry or right right um I, you know unless he said like you know, he begged and pleaded, like, please don't make me go back to Calgary. Yeah, maybe, yeah. I guess. Maybe he just wants like, to Like, and the, nothing against Calgary, nothing against the city of Calgary, or anything like that. I'm just saying, like, maybe, maybe don't make me go away from home or, or what have you. Now, now he's very far away from home. He's even further west. <laughs> I mean, we're, we're glad to have him here because we needed depth and we needed some domestic depth. Yeah, and, and I'm going to be really curious to see yeah. how much time he gets um, because, you know... Canada soccer has certainly always struggled a little bit when it comes to having central defenders mm-hmm. at the ready. So I'll be really curious. It's been an area like we've in our academy here produced a couple of decent looking centre backs over the the years, mm-hmm. but they've never pushed on into the first team. They've gone away to college and then they never ever come back here. Mm-hmm. And so I'm curious to see how he fits in as well because we're fighting on four fronts next year with the Canadian Championship and the New Leagues Cup as well. So we need a lot of roster depth. And he has got that experience in the CPL. So it's an interesting one. Mm-hmm. I I thought for both Yao 
and for Pantemis that the plan was Montreal would maybe just renegotiate and, and re-sign them. Mm-hmm. Now, they still could, obviously, for James Pantemis. Yeah. Now, that... I mean, Breza going and him surprised me, but he's just made the World Cup roster and all of a sudden mm-hmm. you release him. And we talk, talked a little bit before we started recording. Mm-hmm. I was stunned by that. Um, It's sort of weird because I think... Uh, amongst ourselves on the podcast we we kind of all have slightly diverging opinions and I've probably been like the furthest kind of out in left field on this one but for me especially after James Pantemis lost a starting spot in 2021 like he, he gained the starting spot in 2021 but then he lost it um so he didn't start with it but he picked it up and then he lost it um after he lost it it really felt like there was something really broken in the relationship between him and the coach um you know, especially thinking about the fact that James Pentemis had also chosen not to join the national team with during World Cup qualifying and stayed with the, with the club to try and win back his starting spot in the off season and and didn't manage to do that. And then the fact that um, Sebastian Breza had such a disastrous start to 2022 in goal and it took so long for um, Wilfred Nancy to give James Pentemis another chance. It really felt to me like something was really broken in that in that relationship somewhere along the way between either Pentemis and the coach or Pentemis mm. and the club. And I, I don't pretend to have any information on this, just to be clear. But at the same time, like if I were James Pentemis, I don't know if I'd want to stick around in a situation where I watched like, you know, another another goalkeeper really, really fluff his lines uh, time and time again and just be continuously passed over. I don't know if I'd want to stick around for that either. So I don't know if any conversations maybe happened late in the season and there just turned out to be no room for negotiation. He is 25 now, which is still for keepers. It's relatively young. Yeah. But you don't want to be playing second fiddle for too long because there's so many keepers. Like we, we've had a couple here, like in Cody Cropper and Evan Newton, that mm-hmm. for so much of their careers have just been the second keeper and they're mm-hmm. they're not playing and as a young keeper, especially if you're in the national team mix, you you want to be getting those minutes. He yeah. was on 161,000 last year, which yeah. again isn't a it's lot. It's not exorbitant. No, but far from it. I wonder what is if it was his option was super high, and they were Maybe. like, "Well, we don't want to give you that. We want to to get you down a a little bit more." Yeah. I mean, I, I looked at his his stats. So he'd made 32 appearances for you in MLS. Between, between this year and last year, okay. Yeah. yeah. Uh, 46 goals given up, um, mm-hmm. seven clean sheets, four of them, though, in his 11 appearances this season, yeah. which obviously had a much better defence in front of him. Mm-hmm. For bringing him here to challenge Hassal, I, I like that idea. Mm-hmm. But if you're going to bring him here and Hassal's clearly the number one, I don't think that's good for him. No. Well, it's kind of wants... like, what's the point then? Yeah. Part of me also wants a more experienced guy to challenge Hassel. I don't know. I mean, from what you've seen of him, mm-hmm. do you think he's a guy that could go over to Europe and have aspirations there? Or do you think he would be happy to be in another battle with a keeper for a, a starting spot? I think definitely being a starter would be important. Um, you know, it must have been really, really difficult. I, you know, I especially given his choice not to join the national team 
um, to, to really make sure he had that starting spot. That, that says to me that, yeah, being a starter must be very important for, for James Pantemis. I think it shows his commitment to your club as well. Which exactly. Is, which is what you want to see from players. Right, right. Yeah, it just, it just makes everything that went down this year all the more mystifying. Um, but no, I think it would be, I, you know, as far as a, a league in particular goes, I, I don't think, you know, it would be in a top five league in Europe by any stretch, um, to say the least. Um, but maybe, maybe, you know, a, a lower division, maybe like a second division of France or, or something to that effect, um, or, or Belgium or, or something. Um, but Otherwise, I mean, I could, I could certainly see him going to another team in MLS, maybe where they do have kind of a vacuum um, in the goalkeeping mm. situation. Well, I guess you've got that now as well, yep. because you're, le- you're left with Sirwa, who the last time we spoke, I was trying to get you to send him this way. <laughs> yeah. I, I didn't think we might end up with Pantemis, but I mean, we still might not. I'm just wildly no. speculating now. But I mean, do you see Sirwa as the starting keeper or is there going to be a big addition Coming. So in 2021, Jonathan Sirwa had a really great season with Valour. Um, unfortunately, his season on loan this year was not as good. He started out pretty strong, but he wound up losing his starting spot. Um, he, he kind of just became really inconsistent as, as the season wore on. Um, I didn't get to see every match, of course, because I am one woman. But um, <laughs> from the matches I did see, like there was definitely a marked difference between 2020 one in 2022 and even early 2022 versus late 2022 just as far as like the level of confidence that i noticed um in commanding his his area um so it feels really early in in a player's career to be saying yes he's the starter but also he is younger and if he were given that starting spot i kind of feel like it would be getting out in front of maybe maybe a potential a potential mistake like I, I if we don't if he weren't given a starting chance his career might end up going the way that max crepos almost did mm. <laughs> or the way that you know maybe that or the way that james pentemis has such that he continues to make some of the the rather rudimentary mistakes um that he has because he started his professional playing um maybe later than he should have i mean there's some there's some big name keepers free at the moment. Bill uh, Hamid. Yeah, Bill Hamid, Sean Johnson, Clint Irwin, yeah. even. I mean, I, yeah. that's somebody I wouldn't mind bringing in here to challenge Thomas Asal as well. So, I mean, mm-hmm. the, I would think Montreal is probably going to bring someone in, whether I, w- I would expect outside them. the league or within the league, but I think yeah. they need more experience in there. Yeah, they did retain Logan Ketterer, the third keeper. Um, but he's kind of like a, like a, like a Cody Cropper style, um, goalkeeper, uh, you know, not really, um, somebody who would have been fighting for that starting spot. So I do agree with you absolutely that another keeper needs to be brought in and probably somebody, um, more experienced for sure. Assuming James Pentemis, um, does not renegotiate with the club. Now off the pitch, well, first of all, before we talk about some of the stuff off the pitch, a kind of off the pitch thing, the atmosphere at those playoff games. I know you were at them, obviously. It's <laughs> like it seemed electric. That I was so jealous. Just that <laughs> stadium being so close to the pitch, and it just seemed absolutely magnificent. Yeah, this season, um, there was a marked difference between 
last season and this season for sure. Obviously, a little bit of the impact last season was related to COVID and having, you know, uh, restricted mm. capacity in the stadium. But there was also the the elephant in the room of the the rebranding and the handling of it last season. And then this year, it's really been like a breath of fresh air since Gabriel Gervais has come in. Like, not only was the club playing really exciting and attractive soccer on the pitch and scoring, like you said, a ton of goals. Um, so, so it was an easy sell from the sporting sense, but from the sort of the, the sentimental um, side of things, you know, Gabriel Gervais came in as the as the president this year, and they they ch- made changes to the logo. Um, there's been a lot of outreach um, with the fans. Um, Gabriel Gervais, even Joey Saputo went to some tailgates, which was, oh, wow. which is, yeah, right. It was really cool. Um, Most Whitecaps fans couldn't point out Greg Carefoot in an identity lineup yeah. if it's like, who, who's your owner? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, yeah, Joey Saputo came to a tailgate. We had like Patrick Leduc and um, some other executives as well um, who, who stopped by and had chats with fans. Um, you know, uh, section 132 was kind of reborn. Mm. Um, you know, they kind of came together, some some old and some new faces there came together under the collective impact or collective EMFC for, for impact. Um, and so they, with their return to the stadium, um, that certainly made things more lively because you have the supporters groups at each end again. And yeah, it was just like, honestly, it was it was such a relief at the stadium. I'm not going to lie. I felt I felt so much better um, overall. I, I felt less. Less complicated, less torn, you know, less almost guilty for for enjoying my soccer. <laughs> well, I mean, you're rebranded again. Yes, yes, um, yes. I, I'll, I'll save my thoughts on your new badge and everything i'll get yours first okay what do you think i do want to know yours still um i i do quite like it you know i don't it's it's still not as good as the the original or you know the not original because they've changed their logo many times oh yeah but like the 2012 to 2020 logo it's 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 not as good as that one still that one had had a lot of pizzazz for sure. And I, I liked the shape of the shield being the actual shape. I'm just of... getting it up again because I, I, oh, yeah. I can barely picture it. And I'm just wanting to make sure it's the one I'm picturing. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that one. Um, but overall, I do like it. Like, I do like that they paid homage to some of the stuff that um, the supporters said was really important to them to see um, as far as, like, you know the blue black and white being the colors once again and um you know both the stripes the shield the fleur-de-lis being front and center so i do think they made they made a lot of steps forward in the right direction like it's fine i'm not a big like round logos are just so common in mls that i kind of wish they had gone with a different shape for sure but um i love it a thousand times more than the snowflake oh yes I tell you the one that I've liked best um, mm-hmm. was the FC Montreal. Oh, that was, yeah. Team. I just liked that. It was it a was nice like... shape. It was had the stars on it. Yep. It had the Fleur de Lis. And obviously, if anyone hasn't seen it, the Fleur de Lis is back. I really like it. Yeah. Uh, I, was, I, I was waiting to see what you said because I think it's really, really smart. And I actually prefer it to the old Empire. Oh, my gosh, Michael. <laughs> 
no it's okay you're totally entitled to your opinion of course i'm just surprised <laughs> um no no it, it is definitely way better than what montreal um rolled with last year and um uh, which is good because i definitely need to buy a new kit so i was like i was like clinging on to the remnants of my old one and i was like oh man so i'm, I'm really glad for sure that we had that the new logo's out and um overall you know in general with with most fans it went over a lot better that was my next question because i haven't actually seen what the reaction has mm -hmm. been like but i mean it seemed to go down really well and yeah. as usual it comes out with a big explanation as to what everything is i i just think it's a it's a little bit different i like i like having the stripes having the fleur de lis having the 1993 yeah. to me i think it just ticks all the boxes it it does like i the only thing i would do is make it not round um that would be my my one great criticism and it's really just to be a little different yeah it might be because i'm coming from the uk and so many of our badges there are round so yeah so for you it's when the one norm. isn't it looks a bit weird <laughs> yeah no okay fair enough fair enough uh, although have you seen the world cup strips because so many of them the badges are absolutely massive on them yes they're weird and, they're, like and, and some of them are weirdly placed like in the center of the uh -huh. chest and yeah, so no, no, you're, we're right. Things, if we if we deviate from round, things can definitely get weird, for sure. I was just, like, earlier today, I was watching a video, like, just ranking all the 32 home and away kits for all the things. Mm -hmm. And I was looking, some of them I hadn't seen. I was mm -hmm. like, why are the badges all in weird places? And all the necks look weird and the kits <laughs> and stuff as well. I don't know, it's changing. Yeah. I guess talking to the World Cup, just to mm -hmm. we'll round off our chat by... We'll look at the Montreal connection first of all, and then we'll get your thoughts on, on what's going to come up. So six, well, I guess five, Montreal players. I'll still say six with James Yes, Pantemis. let's say six, yeah. yes. They're going to the World Cup now. So you've got James Pantemis, Alistair Johnson, Joel Waterman, Kamal Miller, so solid defensive unit, Samuel Piet, who's always there, Ishmael Coney, which has been fantastic. Were you surprised there was so many in the end? And just what, what's... How proud are you that you've got so many players representing the country? Oh my gosh, it's it's pretty it's it's pretty astounding. I gotta say, um, you know, looking back on it, say at the start of 2022, I could have locked in Kamal Miller and Alistair Johnston pretty easily. But even like with um, with CF Montreal, Sam Piet had kind of lost his starting place at the start of the season. It had to it had to regain it back, and he to his credit, he did. Um, and I know John Herman does place a lot of emphasis on you know, leaders on the mm. team being really important and that being a big reason why they get called up and that Sam Piet is one of those leaders. But at the same time, when you can only call 26 players to a World Cup, you're like, oh boy, you'd better, you better stay in shape. Um, Ismail Kony obviously came out of nowhere and surprised everyone. Um, so really happy to see his meteoric rise be continuing. Um, and, uh, you know, Joel Waterman and James Pentemis were yeah. kind of the beneficiaries, un unfortunately, of, of some injuries to, to other players. But at the same time, you know, they 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 also deserve credit, in my opinion. You know, Joel Waterman was playing in U Sports in 2018. I know. I called his last game. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> no way. Yeah, it was at the National Championships um, here when UBC hosted. So... It's like, it's weird to see that growth. And then he played for TSS Rovers that season as well. Mm. So I'd called him his games and that. And just to see his growth to the Foothills and then to Cavalry and then to Montreal and out of this. Like he's yeah. one of the two players I'm most delighted for in the whole squad. So him, yeah. 
and David Witherspoon just to have oh, that yeah. Scottish connection. <laughs> no, but, but David and, Witherspoon came over, overcame his big injury as well. Yeah. So no, he should be really happy for him as well. But Joel Waterman, it's a great story, and I know he is benefiting because mm-hmm. of, of the the injury to Scott Kennedy. But I mean, he might not see the pitch. But what he'll no. learn from that, and then bring back to Montreal. I, st- I still want him to come here at some point <laughs> as a as a player. BC boy, you've got to stop like late staking your claim to all these Montreal players. He's a BC boy. He should come home. <laughs> I we'll take Kone you... as well. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you want anyone else while you're at it? <laughs> um, Kai Kamara, There's... take him back. Uh... <laughs> oh Lord, Michael. Honestly, um. No, but overall for for Joel Waterman it is really good. And he's obviously he's obviously like just a really humble player. Like yeah. we had we had him on um the ball is round and you know he's so down to earth and so just like you, what what you see is so what you get with him. Um, you know. So it's just a big credit, I think, to his work ethic um and the the development that he put in because even in 2020 when he joined, we weren't convinced that he had he was up to caliber with in MLS. I'll be honest, I wasn't either. I was there quite surprised that he made that jump and I was like, oh. Right on. <laughs> but he's taken his, his opportunity and he's Completely. run with it and he's just getting better and better. Yeah. Um, I, I hope to catch up with him when he gets back because we, we told the story in our show last week when I spoke to his U-Sports coach, Mike Sheeran at Trinity Western. Mm-hmm. He had told me that the, the difference was in his first year at Trinity Western, they'd gone in the the summer to work with uh, poor children. I think it was in South America, might have been somewhere in Latin America, but mm-hmm. somewhere in that area. And that just changed his whole outlook in life. Mm. And that he just wanted to to be more philanthropic and oh, wow. use playing football to change things and do things for the good. Because before that, he was maybe a little bit wild, as a lot of mm-hmm. young guys are. Mm-hmm. And then that just totally flicked a switch on him, and he was a, a totally different person. Wow. No, and that's, you know, that's obviously a life-changing experience for him. And, yeah. you know, it's probably, if he hadn't gone on the trip, who knows if he would have made, been on the trip to Qatar. Probably not. That's something that university does do a, a, a lot of. I will give him a lot of credit for that. But let, let's wrap things up looking at Qatar. Now, I'm jealous because of your time zone for this. Because the games <laughs> yeah. here are hell. Some of them's at 2 a.m. here. Lord have mercy. I could not do it, Michael. I don't oh. know, man. Oh, I'm, I'm... I'm going to have to PVR. There's no way. Because I go to bed at 2. So <laughs> it's like either I stay up and catch a game and then go to bed and then miss a couple of games. I, I don't know how this is going to work. Yeah. No, but... I'm like I'm like an old lady. I go to bed at like 10 p.m. I would not be able to do that. <laughs> My wife goes to bed about eight or nine, so it's like I'm just up for hours on my own, and it's like. <laughs> so I might have to start going to to bed a little bit earlier. I don't know. It's, but how excited are you for it? This in is my, general, my first World Cup for Canada in my life. So pretty yes, excited. You, you are young. <laughs> <laughs> not, not that I'm not that young. Not that young anymore. Unfortunately, as well, I remember by the '86 World Cup very, very well. <laughs> I was at college. Yeah, uh, that's my my parents were at the at the match where Canada qualified. I might have told you that before. That's no, I don't think so. Yeah, um, they're like in St. John's, Newfoundland. Cool. Yeah, yeah. They, uh, I I knew for sure my dad was there, but then my mom told me that she that she was there too. So yeah, 
yeah so yeah they were there i wasn't yet <laughs> i didn't exist but no <laughs> nonetheless i'm really really excited obviously like there there are some things that we could talk about when it comes to qatar and yeah. this world cup um but if i look at if i look at the sporting side of things i'm really excited for canada um i mean they're going to be playing what fifa considers to be currently the best team in the world um which to say that that will be the ultimate test for them i think is is um not an overstatement at all but good to get that first yeah yeah for you don't sure. want to be going into them in your third game needing to get something for sure and I, i'm actually really disappointed i had booked that day off work and um something came up anyway at work so they they said like can you can you please not oh no <laughs> so unfortunately i'm gonna have to work during the match my, my heart is a little bit broken um in, in that sense but obviously i'll watch the match in the evening even if I, I don't pretend that I'm going to, you know, remain immune to the scoreline. I know. And that's my worry it. for all these games. It's like if I'm not watching it live and my, my best intentions of yeah. getting up at nine and then just watching everything on the PVR, I'll go on my phone. Someone's oh, going to exactly. send me a message. Exactly. It happens all the time. It's so annoying. You just put yourself on airplane mode or something. Yeah. I don't know. I can't help no. myself. I'm like, oh, I just need to check that. Oh. Mm. No. But, but no. I am I am so excited um, to to watch Canada compete. So excited! See that that's the thing. There's so many folk that's never got to experience this. When mm -hmm. I was younger, Scotland qualified for six out of seven World Cups from '74 to '98. So I was used to growing up, and it's like, oh, Scotland's at a World Cup. You came to mm -hmm. expect it. Now I really appreciate it because we haven't been there since '98. And now you're going to have a whole generation watching Canada and be like, oh, mm -hmm. we, we belong here. We, we, we can see this. We can have this path. We could be footballers and stuff. I mean, it's yeah. great. How do you think Canada will do that? Do you see them getting out of the group? No. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm a realist. No. Um, I mean. I don't either. Me, <laughs> thank you. For me, Belgium only has to send out Kevin De Bruyne. They don't need to send out anyone else. It can just be one on eleven, and we will still lose to that man. I'm I'm very confident. Um, you know, Croatia. They've got an interesting mix. I think of of aging veterans um, who are extremely talented, like Luka Modric, obviously, but they've also got some exciting young players who I don't know as well. Um, but I've heard a lot of good things about the Morocco game. I think could be a real wild card for Canada because Morocco has been hit recently with some injuries. Um, some pretty important injuries to their players so there might be something certainly for Canada to play for there but I would expect Canada, um, Croatia and, and Belgium to handle them I I thought Canada would make a good fight and probably finish third that result against Japan today has maybe made me think oh maybe the, it's all to do with the heat because I don't know how well they're going to handle the heat and I think mm. a team like Morocco is going to be like well we're very used to this Croatia they turned Scotland over at the Euros last year when we underestimated them and were like, oh, they're ageing and their young guys aren't that good. We've yeah, no. got this, and then they turned us over. So it, it's tough. I think it'll be close. Mm -hmm. I think Canada will at least get a point. I think they'll get goals as well. Well, then they'll already do better than they did in 1986. Yeah. And you just want them to have a good account of themselves. Yeah, what you exactly. don't want is them to lose every single game because then like, a lot of that goodwill that's been built up by people, they'll be like, oh, we'll just go back to supporting our other country and stuff. Uh, 
hope not really I would really hope not because I think the team um the players on the team you know they all have such interesting stories as to how they became national team players um so I would hope that by this point um everyone who has kind of jumped on the bandwagon has maybe found um at least one player or a member of the staff even um who they feel some attachment to because it is it is a really really endearing squad yeah they're a really likable bunch and you can't yeah. often say that about no. even like squad club mm-hmm. players and stuff it's like if you've got a likable team it makes it all the better exactly exactly and you know i think most canadian fans are, are pretty realistic about how this is gonna go I you know I don't know anybody who says, "Oh yeah, Canada's going to make the semifinals" or, or something like to that effect. I I personally don't know anybody in my in my day to day life who does. Um, so I I would hope that the goodwill doesn't go away. I was looking at the betting odds, and Jonathan David wasn't even listed, and it had got to two hundred to one, and he wasn't listed, and I was like, mm-hmm. "Ooh." Maybe put some money in him as top goal scorer. Even if he got three <laughs> or four goals, he could be top goal scorer. Could win a couple of grand. So I might do that. Oh my god, three <laughs> or four goals! You are you are an optimist, Michael. Never mind, you are an optimist. <laughs> or maybe I just put it all on Lucas Cavallini, and he, he can do more Penenka penalties. Oh, that was a unique little penalty. Well, yeah, he did that here, and it didn't go great. So <laughs> right, I forgot about that. Oh, wasn't that like his very first? shot that he I can't like his remember first penalty. now We've was it not his horrendous... first penalty it might have been I think it was I, I'm trying to block him out of just my memory just in general now oh. watch him come back here now somehow yeah. Yeah. last thing then who's your tip to win everything to win the world cup yeah um, I'm probably going to go with the popular choice and uh, I'm going to say Brazil that was mine they, too. Hey, <laughs> they have they have a really interesting squad. Um, yeah. You know, they they are just like bursting at the seams with talent. Um, so yeah, I gotta say, like Brazil, they they seem pretty solid. Um, almost has like slightly golden generation vibes about it, even though it, they yeah. just constantly seem to have a stream of talent. Well, they haven't won it for so long as well, no. and everyone always tips them. My bracket has the semis as Brazil, Argentina. And France, Spain. Oh, good which God! Would be two fantastic semi-finals if that happens. Uh, I'm gonna have to work. No, no time. Mm. Well, thank you for joining us as always, Eve. Let people know where they can find you online. Sure. So, um, myself, I can be found online um, on the usual social medias: Twitter, Instagram, and so on. Um, at Eve Julia Nine. For the podcast, The Ball is Round, we can be found on Twitter and on Instagram at TBIR Montreal. And YouTube, they can watch you live. They can also watch us live. Yes, we usually go live on Sunday evenings at 6.30 Eastern. Um, And of course, we can be found live on YouTube and it also streams on Twitter. And um, we release it in an audio format as well. Fantastic. Thank you so much for joining us, uh, as always, Eve. Look forward to chatting to you next year as well, ahead of the season. You you heard our chats about the World Cup there. We've got one more part of the show to go, and we're bringing you the second part of Zach, me and Steve with our group predictions as we look at what we think might happen in groups E to H. And we'll be back with that after this. 
Hi, I'm Alfonso Davies, and you're listening to the AFTN Soccer Show. Welcome back to the AFTN Soccer Show on CITR Radio 101.9 FM. And kicking off this part, it's the first song taken from the official 2022 FIFA World Cup soundtrack. That was Heya Heya, Better Together, by Trinidad Cardona, Davido and Aisha. I've got to say, not a, a bad song. It's There's been a lot of worse official FIFA soundtrack songs for World Cups over the years. Don't mind that one at all. Wanted to kick off this part with it because we are turning our attention now to the World Cup. Had a little bit of thoughts there from Eve at the end of the last part as to who she thinks will do well this year and how Canada will do. In last week's show, we brought you our World Cup group previews for groups A to D. So it's time now for Zach, Steve and myself to turn our attention to groups E to H and of course that features Canada in Group F. Group E. Spain, Costa Rica, Germany, Japan. It's the second highest group on the FIFA rankings and the only group with two World Cup winners in it. Spain ranked sixth overall. Costa Rica 34th, Japan 24th, and I was stunned. Like, I haven't paid a lot of attention to the top end of the rankings over the year. Germany's 11th now. That was a... Wow. Well, that's because they don't don't care about the... uh, Nations League. Yeah, Nations League thing. So they've been relegated. They've got relegated the first year of that. Yeah, they no one one cares about that. Look at the the loss to Macedonia, too. Oh, yes. Yeah. But then they still qualify. But oh, yeah. no, no one, no one cares. No one, uh, no one in Germany cares about uh, the FIFA rankings either. So no, I, yeah. I mean, like Germany, they've been at every World Cup, but bar the first one, where for people that aren't aware, a number of the European teams got invited, but said, "No, nah, we don't think this you is a thing. The- it's not going to catch on. We're not going to go over to Uruguay for this." And correct me if I'm wrong. The first tournament, I believe, only had thirteen countries in it. It was. Mostly South American and a few other. I think there was a couple of European, but most there of the was. Big ones, yeah, there was. All, all the home nations turned it down, and Germany and stuff like that as well. They last won it in 2014. 
They've won four tournaments. They've been four times beaten finalists as well. In the qualifying, they won Group J at a canter. Nine points over North Macedonia, who, as Steve mentioned, handed them their only defeat. They only gave up four goals. Robert Lewandowski hit nine to lead the way for them. Costa Rica, as we know, finished fourth in the octagon. That took them to a playoff with New Zealand, which they narrowly won 1-0. It was a third-minute goal from Joel Campbell. And New Zealand just laid siege to them and just couldn't get the equaliser. This is their sixth World Cup and their third straight World Cup as well. Japan were second, as we talked about, in Asia Group B, behind Saudi Arabia. Two losses on the campaign, one to Saudi. But the big shock was they lost their opener 1-0 to Oman, and that's what cost them topping the group. Not that it mattered, because they're still here. Seventh straight World Cup for them. You know what Michael said when he heard that, that result? Yeah, it's like, oh, man. Exactly. Great joke. Spain won Group B, four points from Sweden. They've been at every World Cup since 78. They're 16th in total. They won it in 2010 with some boring football that I was not a fan of. I think we should probably start with Zach for this one, but let's start with Steve. Who have you got for Group E? Um, I, I honestly don't know. It's a toss-up for me between Spain and Germany. Um, just to be different, I'll pick Spain for the top. Germany, easy for a second. And then Japan and Costa Rica, third and fourth. It, that's, this is the easiest one where you can pick the two teams going through and the two teams that are I mean, I, I have Germany one, Spain two, and then a toss-up between Japan and Costa Rica because I don't think either of them are very, very good sides. And they might draw, and it just comes down to how many goals they've shipped against the, the other two, yeah. really. Um, Obviously, my heart says Germany one, Costa Rica two, but that's not going to happen. I agree with you guys. It's going to be Germany and Spain. Well, in the game, you want Costa Rica to beat Germany 2-1. That's what I heard, Steve. Let's snip that. <laughs> um. Uh, I think you guys are sleeping a bit on Japan. I, I know they had some I, I, some I, don't think I don't think Japan's bad. I just think that, you know, the, you finish second to Saudi Arabia, obviously. Um, uh, that that hurts that they're standing, but I, I just I, think that I, I don't think they're going to make it to the top two spots. I don't they know. They took one of Celtic's three guys, so obviously not going to do it. I don't know. Uh, I don't know the composition of their teams in all those games, and especially those losses, but uh, I'm, I've had the privilege to watch a number of Japanese players play in the Bundesliga over over the over the years, and there's uh, some quality quality players that are going to be in their team. Looking at their their roster, and I'm excited to see actually Japan play this at, at this tournament and to see what they can uh, what they can do. Five groups down, three to go, and we're going to Group F, which may have a bit more discussion because it's Canada's group and it's the fifth strongest ranked group on those rankings with Belgium second in the FIFA rankings, Morocco 22nd, Croatia 15th and Canada currently ranked number 43. Now we know Canada topped CONCACAF in 28 points with 8 wins, 4 draws, 2 defeats. It's our second World Cup after 86. Didn't get a point last time round. Laren led the goals on 13 in the qualifying, Jonathan David on 9, Cava and Fonzie on 5 apiece. Belgium, it's their 14th World Cup appearance. They won Group E, undefeated by 5 points over Wales. 25 goals for, 6 against. Lukaku led the scoring, but just with 5 goals. Hans Vanneken had 3. There was 5 players hit braces and 14 
different scorers overall. So a lot of different goal-scoring threats in that Belgium side. It's their third straight World Cup. Croatia, it's also their third straight World Cup. They're sixth overall. They lost the final in 2018 to France. They won UEFA Group H qualifying by a point over Russia. They're losing one game, which was to Russia. 21 goals for, just four against. Another team that is not conceding much. Luka Modric, Ivan Perisic and Mario Pasalic led the team with three goals apiece. And they had 11 different goal scorers. Morocco, they had a 5-2 aggregate win over DR Congo in the last round of African qualifying. Ayub El Kabi led the team with five goals. Ryan Maï next on four. It's their sixth World Cup appearance. They were in Russia, but that was their first appearance since 1998. Zach, take this one away. Yeah, real real quick. Obviously, my my heart would say Canada and fall, you know, with Belgium going through. And if Germany tops Group E, I would love Canada to come second in Group F, so they can meet. Or vice versa, if Canada tops Group F, mm-hmm. Germany finish second in Group E, so they can meet in the the round of uh, sixteen. Which is one of the reasons why I'm trying to stay for the round of sixteen. Have you got Germany. a ticket for that game, no matter what? Or uh, do you have to wait in case you get a ticket and you end up seeing neither Germany nor Canada? No, I don't have a ticket for that match yet, for sure. I got yeah, I'm working on it. Um, I, I, so, I, I would say I, don't sleep in Morocco here either. I think. Well, here, okay. Here's the thing. I, I think this is a fascinating group because, yeah, Belgium will be the the high favorites because of you know they got all these big players playing at these big clubs. Croatia obviously were you know losing losing finalists last time around. Uh, they're considered you know an older team because they have players like Modric and Perisic and guys who are older. But yeah, you're right about Morocco. Morocco, uh, I can't remember the exact record, but my recollection of their qualifying campaign is they hardly let in any goals. And they did that with a different coach, which is only significant in that he didn't get along with two of their best players. Zayic from Chelsea, former Ajax player, and Mizrahi, former Ajax player currently with Bayern Munich, are both going to be included in this squad. And I think that that's going to have a massive impact because Mizrahi is going to enable them to use Hakimi either on the left side of their defense or left side of their their midfield, or push him in front of in front of uh, Mizrahi and get, get allow him to be more involved in the attack. And he's an incredible footballer who you, you know people know now from playing for Paris Saint Germain, but used to play on loan from Real Madrid at Borussia Dortmund and was excellent in the Bundesliga and is has incredible has incredible pace. Um, I, I think that Canada-Morocco game is just going to be end-to-end entertaining stuff. I think it's going to be fascinating. To attack. Canada, like I said before, uh, needs to use uh, a... Everyone has to be 100 committed to the tactical approach, and they need to use their pace. And if they do that, uh, that is their way to get points and to uh, advance from this group. Obviously... Uh, most people outside of this country look at this group and say, okay, yeah, obviously Belgium, Croatia. Yeah. I, I've got to be honest, I've gone with Belgium, Croatia in my bracket that I've done on the FIFA website. You can, you don't need to apply for uh, citizenship anymore, Michael? No. It's been denied. It's fine. My Croatian citizenship has been approved, though. <laughs> so I have been to Dubrovnik. I liked it oh, there. It was lovely. There you go. So, yeah, I've got that. I had Canada third, but I don't know. I think Canada will get at least a point this time around. 
And, I'm hoping for and a goal. And I'm a goal hoping for a goal. A goal. I, I'm just looking for a goal at this point. For me, um, I all your guys is like uh, uh, you know uplifting on other teams in this in this group. Uh, I don't really care. Uh, I'm not going to listen to any of it. Uh, uh, it was all like you know like the peanuts teacher talking to them. And everything like that. So um, for me, like Belgium for sure. Um, and I'm going to approach this like how Canada gets points off everybody. Belgium, they have they are basically the golden generation that hasn't won anything ever. Um, uh, that's why I hate that term. They're the, they're the team that the reason I hate that because everybody says, Oh, the golden generation, they haven't won anything. They're a team that's got all the pressure on them. They could slip up in that first game. Canada can surprise them. Mm. Uh, I, I then, like having Belgium in that first game, I think yeah, that really plays yeah. good for us. Croatia, they're old. Like, are they going to have time to change their diapers at halftime? I don't know. <laughs> that, that's, that's forget about being pulled off at halftime, it's yeah. change your diaper. At <laughs> Morocco, Morocco is the team that I'm most concerned about because they're very pissed off that we got the 2026 World Cup and they didn't. <laughs> so, but but I think they can beat them too. But the, it's all about uh, that heat. They can they can handle mm-hmm. the heat against Morocco, and that's I think that's the third game, right? If I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Um. So that yes. could play into everything about like who wins it out and gets through. I, I think I think a lot of the talk is about Canada's first point, uh, or first points, and first goal at a World Cup. I think the key to both of those things or at least to the points thing is can can Canada get one or multiple clean sheets at a world cup yeah i i personally like i'll say right now that whatever happens i'm happy that they're there like yeah. i yeah. like i just don't want to see them blown out and be one of those teams like uh like where the england commentators say oh should we have a uh, why are we expanding when these teams can't even handle it i don't want to be Canada we talk cuz there're going to be some teams that they talk about like that no, yeah. oh well, we should we even have these all these teams in the World Cup? I don't. So honestly, I don't think they're going to be saying about about anyone in this group. No. Yeah, but, I, I, I really do. I just don't want it to happen in, in any of the games. Like, no. none of it. I don't want them to be blown out. I want them to be competitive, uh, but I want them to also go out there and 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 show what they need of. And so, be attacking, but be smart and be good defensively. I mean, I think we all know what we want from Canada and what our dreams would be the the three things I don't want as Steve said I don't want any big heavy defeats because that also knocks confidence and for us building up this fan base here and pushing into 2026 you want people to believe that they they can compete on that world stage I also and I, I mean this in all seriousness I don't want them to be like Scotland where in all the years that we qualified we missed getting out of the group on goal difference. Mm. Every single tournament. And it's the heartbreaking way to miss out. And you don't want that to, to come into it at all. Not, my, not yellow cards accumulation? I, I think, actually, was it fair play one year? I think it was, it was Senegal. goal difference. It was Senegal. I'm oh, yeah, Senegal. with them. <laughs> yeah. The other thing I, I am genuinely worried about is Canada lose their first two games, Morocco lose their first two games, and it's over. Yeah. yeah, and the third game counts for nothing. Well, third game counts well, for points. You get that. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. There'll be a lot of pride on the line at that point. But yeah. if that is if that is the case, I think those are those are valid concerns, Michael. Um, I just think that we've seen John Herdman, his coaching staff, the players, those who are involved with the team, the backroom staff. We've seen them rise to every occasion in the last year, year and a half, two years, whatever it's been, and I. 
I really think they are going to. It doesn't mean they're going to win every game or whatever, but I think they're going to rise to the occasion. I, I really would be surprised. Part of me thinks that as well, but I can't let myself get too carried away just based on my previous experience with Scotland. Yeah. yeah where we right. thought we were going to win it in 1978 and we got beat by Peru and then drew with Iran. So th- things can go off the rails very quickly. I... Just to wrap up this group, I want to ask both of you this and genuine heartfelt moment here. It's like you're both Canadians, you're both proud Canadians, you've been with this national team for your whole lives watching this. How does it feel? Years ago, I would not even have believed it like, hap- would be happening again. Like There have been so many years where I didn't even see the expectation, Like especially through qualifying. There was a glimmer of hope in 2001 when the Gold Cup happened. Like, I remember watching the 86 World Cup. I was, like, 10 or something like that. Because yeah. we, we are, everybody, everybody actually got together. I remember especially watching the the Russian, the playing against the Soviet Union, because I remember the CCP. I was like, what does that even stand for? Like, I couldn't I, I think in my head. But uh, but overall... Crush uh, Canada! <laughs> I was a two uh, Cs. Um, uh, but overall, I, I like, I... I knew, like, when they announced when Canada got the World Cup in 2026, I knew that we were going to see them. But to see them actually qualify before, when they actually just walk in, uh, like, uh, that's that, for me, is, like, uh, I, I think really the, the cherry on top. Like, it makes it worthwhile and makes it, like, they actually earn something. And now when 2026 happens, they don't say, they don't, like, oh, they got in just because they're hosting or co-hosting the tournament. I think, yeah, I agree with Steve on, uh, on that, like, the announcement, you know, when to, to host 2026 was crazy awesome and exciting and kind of like a light at the end of the tunnel. And this qualification has just been like amazingly awesome. And it it, it feels like to me like more than a bonus, right? Because it was the way they did it. Mm. Like they, you know, we should have been undefeated, but we lost. The, was it the last game or whatever? But um, we, we bossed the group. Like we bossed it. And then... I didn't get to uh, go to the early games in Toronto, but having been able to go to, um, you know, the games in Edmonton, the game in Hamilton, and then the the deciding game in Toronto, it was, yeah, it was kind of surreal to, like, just, the you know, beating Mexico at home, um, you know, beating the Americans at home, and then, you know, kind of crushing Jamaica over on accord um, to, to, to seal things off. It was, it was all surreal. So, yeah, I'm... I'm so excited, but like Steve, like a few years ago, I would never have thought. I, was like, I, I just think it's great. My kids will be waiting. Yeah, for all the young kids coming through and actually seeing their country at World Cup, it, it's fantastic. Hopefully, Scotland will get back there one day. With two groups to go: Group G, Brazil, Serbia, Switzerland, Cameroon. The third highest ranked group: Brazil, number one; Serbia, twenty fifth in the world; Switzerland, sixteenth; Cameroon, thirty eighth. Brazil, first in Comnibol qualifying, undefeated, six points ahead of the Argies, 14 wins, three draws, five goals given up, 40 goals scored. They've been at every World Cup, five-time winners, two-time beaten finalists, but they haven't won it since 2002. Cameroon beat Algeria in the African playoffs. They lost at home 1-0, they won away 2-1 in a second leg that went to extra time, with the winning goal coming four minutes into extra time stoppage time. I watched that game live and it was so dramatic. 
and the commentators didn't know that away goals rule was in effect and everyone was expecting penalties and then it just ended. Um, it's Cameroon's eighth World Cup. They did miss Russia, but they were in South, um, South Africa and Brazil. Serbia won Group A in Europe by three points from Portugal, undefeated. Second World Cup as Serbia, 2010-2018. They were Serbia and Montenegro in 2006 as well. Switzerland, 12th World Cup, 5th straight, top Group C by two points over the Euro champs Italy. Undefeated as well in their qualifying and they just gave up two goals, which is pretty darn impressive. Steve, you can kick this one off. Yeah, um, again, it's kind of easy to pick the top team. It seems like Brazil would be the favorite here yeah. for sure. After that, again, another group that I like, anything can happen. Yes, Serbia and Switzerland are probably the strongest because the European, you know, talent and everything. Cameroon can very much surprise you. And, and another country second. that's used to the heat as well. Yeah, and so I can I can easily see, but for me right now, I would probably pick Brazil and Switzerland to get through on this group. I've gone for Brazil and Serbia, and the reason for that is my complex manager in our townhouses here is Serbian, and we've been chatting non-stop about the World Cup for months now, and he has me fully convinced that this time Serbia will get through the group stages that they're very solid and they've got a good run at this. And he is delighted that they've got Brazil in the opening match because he feels they might not be warmed up and firing on all cylinders yet and they can get a point from that, which will set them up nicely. Yeah. Uh, my For me, my heart says Switzerland and Cameroon. Uh, Cameroon, I think, uh, could play a bit of a surprise. Uh, he's an old man, so I don't know if he's going to start or how he's going to fit into their squad, but uh, Hamburg-born Eric Maxime Choupo-Moting has uh, been in like crazy form at Bayern over the last number of weeks, a uh, number of games. He's he can't stop scoring. He's scoring every game in the league, in the cup, in the Champions League. And um, how, how he, many Bayern players are at this World Cup? Like genuine question. Because uh, well, all I, I they hadn't they hadn't put out a big list because the countries announced at different times. Mm. But there's like seven in the Germany squad and four in the France squad. Uh, obviously, Alfonso, Trupo Motang, Sadio Mane. There's a bunch. Wow. There's a lot. Yeah. That's pretty, pretty darn uh, impressive. Um, but no, so I, I mean, they could get, they could be a whipping boys, but I also think that they could, they could, they could play a role. Uh, Brazil, I, I've always you, loved Cameroon. I've got Cameroon oh, jerseys yeah. from the previous World Cups as well. Totally. I just you, don't fancy them this time. Did you guys watch the uh, All or Nothing on Brazil at the Copa America? No, I've not seen any of these All or Nothings. It, it was really, really interesting. I watched it with Kirk this in the last summer or whatever. Really, really interesting. Um, I think they are, uh, if we talk about players missing, they are going to be hurting for missing Richarlson, who's currently playing for Tottenham. Um, he is, a, I think, a really great player for them. Also, that, that showed the dynamic of Neymar. And like having him and not having him, and it was really weird because he couldn't play because of injury, but then he was sort of there. And like, there's some interesting behind the the scene dynamics of their team. Don't start me on Neymar. Right, let's yeah. get to Group H, which I've got to be honest is a group I have very little interest in. Portugal, I Ghana. Well, I, I, this doesn't excite I, me. 
Portugal, I'm, Ghana, I'm, Uruguay, I'm, South Korea. The only reason, good group, good group. Yeah, the only reason I'm excited about it is I have no idea who's going to come out of it. It's well, yeah, like, there, there is that. Like, Uruguay were third in Comnibol. They've won it twice, but obviously early days, 30 and 1950. Fourth straight World Cup, 14th overall. Korea were just second in their group, um, two points behind Iran, but they only lost once and they only gave up three goals. They were nine ahead of the third place team, the UAE as well. It's their 11th World Cup and their 10th straight. Ghana got through on away goals after a two-legged 1-0 draw with Nigeria. It's their fourth World Cup. They missed last time out, but they had qualified for the three before that. And then Portugal, who finished second to Serbia in Group A. They only lost one game, and that was to Serbia. They just gave up six goals, which was three less than Serbia. They beat Turkey 3-1 and then North Macedonia 2-0 in the playoffs. It's their eighth World Cup and their sixth straight. And when you think now about how good Portugal is, it's kind of crazy to think that up until this century, they had only played in the 66 World Cup and the 86 World Cup. Then all of a sudden, this crop of players and talent comes through. Who you got? I'll, I'll kick this one off. I've got Portugal winning it. But the rest is an absolute toss-up. I just have a sneaking feeling that Ghana could be a surprise here. Yeah, I, I, I actually have Ghana winning it. I, I personally have wow. it. Um, I, got, I, I think Portugal could actually miss out of the group. I think Uruguay could actually be second. Or they'd be sw- those two teams. And those two teams, are, those teams are inter- interesting because it's like the rematch from 2010 when the handball at the line. By Luis Suarez. Uh, oh, of course. Uh, it's the rematch of that game. That's um, all. Yeah. I forgot so, all about that. I don't that. know. Is Luis Suarez on the Uruguay team? I don't even know if he is or not. Yeah, I, I believe uh, so. I oh, believe okay. so. So maybe a potential for another handball. On the he board. played against Canada, so I'm pretty sure he's in the squad. Mm. Okay. Um, and then uh, the one that's my heart, obviously, is South Korea. Uh, uh, me being such a K-pop and K-drama fan and everything like that, that I'm hoping that they do well. In the World Cup, but if they get out of the group, will you do a fun little dance for us? Yes, I will. Okay, I will do a K-pop dance. Oh, Uh, fantastic! I'll post it. it I am now rooting for South Korea. No, but uh, for me, like I I think South Korea is probably the weakest out of the out of the the four teams, but their potential to steal points off other teams, and I think that that would be like so they they could be a spoiler. In in fact, Uh, but I, I I honestly see Ghana and Uruguay. Getting through on this group. This, this to me is a really, yeah, really, really interesting group. Ghana, I only know a few of their players. I don't really know them all. So it would be interesting if they upset, that'll be interesting. Uruguay does have Suarez along with uh, Cavani and um, Darwin Nunez. So they, this is Darwin Nunez's, I think, like big, big tournament. So we'll see how he does. But the other two guys are pretty old, aren't they? They're old, but they're, yeah. they're still quality, right? Yeah, still quality. Um, uh, South Korea, son, is Sun fit? Sun is in the South Korea squad. Yeah, I thought he was in the squad. he's a big injury doubt because he hasn't recovered from his facial surgery. But he's put a mask on. Let's go. Oh, Phantom of the Opera mask. Oh, but I mean, he is such a key player for them that they've, yeah. they've included him. Yeah, they're in trouble. Um, Portugal, I agree with you. I, uh, Steve, I would love to see what you said come to fruition. Uh, not, a, not a big fan of Portugal. When I was growing up, uh, in my my the guys who introduced me to football, um, one of them was Portuguese, and so as we developed an internal rivalry, 
Um, yeah, we always, I always wanted to see Portugal do bad just because it's, of my, it's, it's, because it's of my not, buddy. It's not honestly that I think they're the, a bad club, but I just, oh, no. they, they're just, they're, I, I think that they're, this is like almost, if you want it, I don't even think it's that, I don't know if you can qualify for a group of death, but it's a group of death in the fact that the, all the clubs are very, I, they're not, there's not much in between. Well, I, I think Portugal, honestly, I think their, their, their squad is a, is, is a level above all the rest. However, but what the way I'm they hoping, play sometimes at the world stage is that yeah. brings them down a little bit. What I'm hoping will 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 cause them problems is uh, Bruno Fernandes from Manchester United can't really play with Cristiano Ronaldo at club and, or country. Oh, and he's so, in bad form right now too. Yeah, well, I think yeah. So I I hope that the whole Ronaldo factor sinks them as opposed to raises mm. them. But we'll see. Yeah. So that that's it. We've gone through the groups. Twice as long as I thought we were going to be doing this, but I've enjoyed it. It's been fun, and we won't get a chance to to chat to Zach till he's back about all of this. I just want to quickly go around to end this part with who you have to win the whole thing. And uh, I'll go first. I've gone for Brazil. I just think they'll cope with the heat well. They were in good form in the qualifying. Hey, uh, if they cope with the heat in the same way they did in 2014, I'll be really happy. <laughs> Oh dear. Okay, who have you got then, Germany? <laughs> well, I would like to see Germany win it, but see who do you have? Well, I was going to pick Italy, but they didn't make the World Cup. <laughs> uh, but I, I, I probably honestly, I, I'm going to pick Germany. I'm going to pick Germany as the team. Wow. And I haven't done any kind of bracket, so I don't know how the brackets fall in and everything like that. Uh, but for me, just t- team wise and everything, I think they're usually the team that you can rely on. If you have to put money on it, they they they're the best bet because it's rare that things go wrong for them. They might not be good enough to win, but they don't. Nothing goes wrong. Other teams, things can go wrong for for them. Like they could yeah. they could fall apart somewhere. And there's holes like France. I would have picked France, but their midfield concerns me. That's See, the I, biggest thing for them. My bracket has Brazil beating France in the final, and yeah. the quarterfinal, Steve, would be Brazil Germany. Oh, okay. So that would that, that would definitely play a part, but for me, like my first choice was France, but my concern is the midfield. Mm. With Germany, I there's a lot of things that are really good with them. Um, that uh, what's that? Guy? Musiala. Oh, Musiala. Oh, yeah. Musiala. Musiala. He is, so, he is yeah. so good. Like I think he, so this, this is going to be a breakthrough tournament for oh. him. I think obviously everybody knows yeah. about him anyway. If you, but if, if, this if you is going to take him to another level. If people have not watched him, and oh yeah, he is a treat. He yeah. is. So so good. Yeah, I think I think I think he could like he could be the biggest factor for Germany in making it to the the, the World Cup stage. If it's not if it's not Germany, it's going to be Canada. <laughs> my, my semi-finals are Argentina, Brazil, and France, Spain, because finishing second in that group of Germany is actually better. Yeah, because well, of yeah. how things pan yeah. out. Spain. To me, I have questions over their squad. For me, I'll t- honestly, as long as it's not Brazil and as long as it's not England, I'm probably pretty happy. Oh yeah, ABE. Uh, yeah, anyone, yeah, anyone but England. This, um, this could uh, be a, this could be a year where anybody could, like there could be one of those teams. I think like it is Belgium, wide open. Belgium or Netherlands could even come through. There's like if other teams can pull a lot off. I don't, I don't think I, any. I don't think anything from the second tier. I don't. I still don't think any of those hmm. teams are good enough to win though. Yeah. Well, let's see. Let us know who you've got as well, AFT in Canada on Twitter. Let us know who your picks are for the World Cup. 
So that wraps up our World Cup group previews. Let us know your thoughts on that as well. Who do you have to win the groups? How do you think Canada will do? Who is your tip to win the 2022 World Cup in Qatar? It's going to feel a little bit weird watching this tournament with Christmas lights everywhere. I'm sure we'll get used to it. Maybe it'll give us a taste for Winter World Cups. Pretty sure that the clubs and the players will not fancy that with the amount of injuries that they've been this year. So Har, you've heard our thoughts on who's going to do well and how Canada's going to do. Let's hear your predictions for this World Cup. So first thing to to ask you Har, are you looking forward to it? Yes, Michael, I am looking forward to it. I have my Panini sticker book, which I got on Grand Violin the other week. And I have some stickers, which I have to put into the album. Maybe oh. we can do some trading. Well, I haven't got any stickers yet. I'm, I keep telling you, you keep saying to trade, and I keep telling you I'm going to buy the full album. And I'm going to wait now to after the World Cup, and it's cheaper. What kind of crap is that? You're supposed to do it during the tournament so you can open stickers and trade with your friends. Well... People have been asking for us to open stickers on the show like we did before. Do you want to open a pack of your stickers just now? No. Well, they can't see us, so how will they know what stickers I got? I couldn't make that's, up any name. That's the whole point of the thing. We open it and people are anticipating. Oh, look, I got Christine Sinclair. That would be weird if you got that. How are people going to know? People won't know. I could just make up any name. Because we hold it up to the camera. People can't see, though. That's the whole point. <laughs> <sighs> Open a pack. Uh, no. You're boring. I'm very meticulous and superstitious. I cannot just open a pack. Okay, let's just move on then to how do you think Canada's going to do? I do think they will score, so I do think they will participate in a World Cup where they score at least a goal. So I'm I'm pretty happy with that. But as you know, uh, I'm. I'm not sure if they're going to make it out of the group. I gave some advice to John Herdman when we saw him at the event. So hopefully yeah, he you followed you, advice. You probably don't know. We talked about that in the show where I revealed what your advice was. Oh, well, how did that go? I for mean, anyone, you if, it, if anyone that didn't hear, Har's advice to John Herdman was don't play Cava. Because you can get the yellows. You can hurt the other team. But you can also score dodgy 90th minute Paninkas. Yeah, that's a thing, yo. He lures you in with his great play, and then boom. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't I don't think they'll get out of the group, but I think they've got a chance to get out of the group. I think they'll get at least a draw, so they'll get a point. Um, yeah, we'll see how they do. We'll see how fit they are. The injuries have not been great. Uh, obviously, Morocco's that game is a very... Uh, I think they can win that game. I'm not saying they're mm. going to win. But I, I don't ha- I don't see them making it out of the group stage. Well, Belgium did not have a great performance against Egypt today and lost 2-1 with a pretty strong team out there. So that's made me maybe review things a little bit from what we had recorded earlier. So I think they've got a chance. And like, don't underestimate what John Herdman has built with this group and this belief that he's he's got. And that can carry teams a long way. I mean, is, is there any dark horses that you think might surprise people or that you're just particularly looking forward to seeing? I would look to South America because they are acclimated with the heat. Mm. I mean, they don't have a Euro. Obviously, they have their um, Copa America tournament. But the World Cup is a pretty big deal for the 
South American countries. So I, I expect them to have uh, a very strong showing. Obviously, we know Argentina and, and Brazil um, are, are big um, nations, and they always do very strongly. But obviously, I have to keep out for Uruguay and all the other teams that are in there, too. So who's your biscuit money on? Well, I don't bet my biscuits. I would not do that. <laughs> okay. If I if I was to give you $10 just now, yeah, who would you put them on to win? Well, uh, first of all, I would take the $10, and then I would only use $5. So <laughs> I, I'm going to go with Argentina. Because if they don't get it done now, where in the hell are they going to get it done? So uh, Messi's last World Cup. With Argentina. And if they don't do it, then don't cry for me. Yeah. Argentina all the way. They better not F it up. So that's my team. Fantastic. I'll go Argentina over... Hmm. I want to say France, but France always screws it up with some kind of infighting scandal. Mm. Hmm. And they've got a lot of injuries. I'll go um, Argentina over Germany. We can call it like a wartime battle. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So that's pretty much it for this episode of the AFT and Soccer Show, but we can't go, of course, without bringing you this week's Wavelength. For anyone new to the show, Wavelength is our section where we play a football song, and it could be by a band, could be by a, a footballer himself, could be a football club, songs about clubs, songs about footballers. It's a wide genre. We've been doing this section in the show since 2017 and we've still got a plethora of songs to bring you. Some months we have a themed month and that is what we're doing this month and next month as we're going to be bringing you World Cup songs, past and present. We've already brought you Neil Grant's song for Canada, Nobody Believed Us. For this week's Wavelength, we're going to head over the sea and turn our attention to Wales. And it's an unofficial song from a, a band from Newport called Tinty and the Bucket Hats. This is their play on Shakira's 2010 anthem for the World Cup in South Africa. It's raising money for Kidscape, an anti-bullying children's charity in the UK. This is their song, Waka Waka Kumri, Men of Harlech. Hello. 
Wales, Tinty in the Bucket Hats, Waka Waka Kumri, Men of Harlech. As I mentioned, I play in Shakira's 2010 anthem Waka Waka, and it is a charity song raising money for Kidscape, an anti-bullying children's charity over in the UK. Go and support that on the various sites, download it and raise some money. There's an official Welsh song as well that is actually in Welsh. Maybe I'll bring you that in a later show. But that is it for this episode of the AFTN Soccer Show. Just before we go though, Har, let people know where they can find you online and any final thoughts that you've got this week. Uh, you can find my stuff on the internet. I have uh, a story on the BC Lions uh, this week. I talked to uh, Nathan Rourke. We had a nice uh, sit-down before he leaves to go try out for the NFL. That's on the hive. Uh, we'll have some new things coming up, as uh, Michael mentioned. I sat down with Axel today, so that will be out uh, Monday at the latest. And, yeah, uh, you can find me whenever, wherever, doing whatever. And if the Twitter thing uh, blows up, uh, good luck finding me. Bye. <laughs> yeah, it's not going anywhere. 
I'm no. Michael McCall. You can find me on Twitter at Canada. Read all our stuff away from the numbers, AFTN.ca. Check out an article which we have put up as well. Joe DC has done a fan survey ahead of the World Cup, so we've got that up. And of course, on YouTube, check out all our videos, youtube.com backslash Canada. I will be getting back out to the VMSL games after not being able to for a lot of the season with the college commentary. But I'm looking forward to that now. I've got my heat pads all ready to go. So those videos will be going up there. So thank you for joining us this week, Har. We'll get you on again in some shows coming up, especially with Zach away. It's been a lot of fun. Thank you for doing this. Until next time, everyone. Thanks for listening. Take care. And mon the caps. And Ali La Rouge. Going to your first match is an experience you never forget. The atmosphere of what's going on around the pitch looks beautiful and you always look and go, wow, I'd love to play here one day. If you get the bug, it's going to stay with you for life. Mm-hmm.